what do you call a magician with no magic? Ian. isn't here today, priest. <laughs> so listen to the Uncut Gems podcast, a weekly show where we talk about movies nobody um, else wants to talk about and nobody really should be talking about because, well, based on this week. Anyway, anyway, I'm getting ahead of myself. My name's Jan. And my name's Randy. And today we have two guests with us. One, well, let's just say two returning voices and one, let's just say a very special returning voice who hasn't been with us in a very, very long while. The one and only, the man, the myth. The legend, Carson, it's fucking cats tomorrow. How are you Ooh. doing, Carson? I am doing good. Put some respect on that in the middle there. Um, I'm doing fantastic. I cannot wait to talk about two just, in my opinion, terrible films. You know, it's the it's the crux of what this podcast is, and I've missed it. There you go. Like this is you know, we're doing the Lord's work. <laughs> <laughs> um but we're yeah. watching the trash so no one else has to. Look, look, we're doing this so that you don't have to. But then again, we're not here all, you know, it's not just the three of us. Also, again, a returning voice back from last week. Mr. Jack Luke Sharp's in the house. How are you doing, Jack? I'm doing brilliant. As you can tell, I'm not very well. But I'm striving through this with the power of God myself to talk about Paul Schrader and Rennie Harlan. I cannot wait to finish this episode and not talk about this series series anymore. (laughs) We started on such a high, and I wasn't even on that episode, and now we're just going worse and worse and worse, which is going to lead to this weekend to talk about Spoilers. another one that's going to be even worse. So thank you for having me on. I'm currently dying at the moment with the common cold, but I get to talk about this piece of shit with three of my friends. So it could be worse, but thank you very <laughs> much once again for having Amen. me on the Good Gems podcast. Hi. <laughs> Oh, should we uh, take you to the doctor or just straight to a witch doctor? Just by the way. <laughs> take me to Egypt, cold. take me to North Africa, wherever this is set, and I open my robe and just deal with me as you will, because I've got the sickness and I'm down with it. I'm going to have on. another sniff of my inhaler. There we go. <laughs> Are you down with the sickness? I don't know. With someone uh, to tell you. <clears throat> Fuck yeah! yeah. Anyway. So, as you may have surmised, we are today talking about uh, two prequels to The Exorcist. The, the 1973 Exorcist, The Exorcist spawned not only sequels, it spawned prequels. And I, I think it's probably, I mean, like you guys saying like, oh, we're talking about two movies. I'm not even sure we're talking about two movies. Um, but, you know, we're going to get there in a second. Before I do so, might as well quickly plug what's what's happening in the world of our patreon so might as well start because we're do this is almost the ca- the cap to our demonic tober but not really there's more, one more week of william peter blatty related stuff just stay tuned for that but anyway so we're doing exorcist sequels and prequels on the main show but on the patreon we have recorded the actual conversation about the re- like the only good film in this series one that i would actually even consider like if i ever do a letterboxd list of you know exorcist movies ranked i'll probably not even include the first one out of respect <laughs> i said last week like you know like there there you know like if they release a box set with all of these with the friedkin film <clears throat> I'm going to start mating shit to people. 
I think like they actual. did. I think they have. Yeah. Okay, well, I need addresses because I have savings. Sendshit.com, I've already scoped this up. They do have donkey shit. Oh my $25, God. you can send shit to people. Not even kidding. Carson hasn't been on for a while, has he? You can tell. <laughs> nope. <laughs> so, so, you know. Admit, yeah, you've been yeah, Jacob's a out. gold member. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh, shit. Anyway, so... On the Patreon, which is patreon.com slash uncutgemspot, we've recorded a three-hour marathon about the original The Exorcist, so go and listen to that. And actually, you don't even have to subscribe to do so, to do so because out of respect to Mr. Friedkin, who recently passed away, and, then the, and the fact that it's a 50th anniversary of the release of the movie, this one's kind of unlocked forever. So you can go and listen to us ramble about God, and science, good and evil, and um, I suppose trying to find the rhythm in a, in in the tubular bell song I suppose among other things right for free you can just have a look and have a listen just you know like do it while while you're jogging in place on in your gym do whatever i don't in addition so if you like this then if you just pay 3 bucks a month then you'll just get access to everything else we have and this month uh, Logan Lucky is preparing for a soda break process uh, pro- process project fuck me I'm so tired it's going to get worse, Jakob. Oh, Jesus. Like, this is. It's only colon the beginning. Anyway. <laughs> I'm going to steal uh, that as well. <laughs> <laughs> um, right. So, Logan Lucky is the pairing for our Soderbergh project. And on the main show, like a few weeks back, we did Unsane. And that was Unsane. Okay. Jack mm-hmm. was in there for it as well. So, you go and listen. Uh, and then I suppose uh, I, th- I think a week from now, so hopefully next Wednesday, you'll you'll be able to hear our um, October pairing for not pairing October installment of the John Cassavetes Marathon, which we're just about almost done with because that will be the episode number ten, and where we talk about um, Gloria. So go and listen to that. Three bucks a month ain't much, and it's gonna help us pay our bills. So patreon.com slash uncutgemspot is where you can go and do that. And if you don't want to pay that kind of money every month, you can always, like, and if you still want to support, I suppose, you can leave us a one-off donation at ko-fi.com slash uncutgemspot. If you don't feel like spending money, it's still fine. We're still friends. So you can go and, you know, leave us a star rating, leave us a review. I don't know, tell one friend, pay it forward. Tell someone to listen to our show. That's just how, how you know, how we want to roll. Anyway, that brings us to here and now. Today, we're talking about two films. Yeah, one film done twice. So, Exorcist, the beginning, and Dominion, prequel to The Exorcist. Two very unwieldy titles. And I, f- I thought, you know, this is where where we would be just saying, like, well, let's just talk about The Exorcist, the beginning. Clip, we'll play, and whatever. But no, I'm going to flip the script. Like, 143 episodes in, I'm going to just change this thing a little bit. I'm going to just refresh this bitch, okay? I don't think it's it's a good idea to just talk about one of these films for i don't know a period of time and then after um, about the other one i don't think this is possible so how about we just talk about these two films at the same time so the this, the idea would be let's, let's just exchange our initial thoughts on the first one the second one and just go with it that will be the sort of how I, how i see it so I'm not even sure if I'm going to put the clip in because I don't know what I would put have to put in. Oh, yeah. So, could, you, could you find a good one? I don't think I can find a good one. <laughs> We're not even there yet. We're not there yet. <laughs> but that's kind of how it's going to stay. Like it's going to be a little bit different this week, okay, kids? So I'm just going to go with it and just say, look, 
the idea for a prequel to The Exorcist, I think, dates to like the mid '90s, right? And um, almost said Edward G. Robinson, Robinson, not it's James Robinson of the Morgan Creek production. I suppose this of the idiot jackass producer who also greenlit a few other produ- uh, Exorcist sequels. I don't know, maybe I don't know. So they had this idea. Um, they had the screenwriter who did Terminator 2. Let me just double check his name. Almost said Walter Hill. William Wisher. <laughs> um, so hired him. And they wanted the guy who um, directed Jason Lives to, make, to, to stand behind the camera. So that didn't pan out. I mean, this movie was kind of in development hell for a while. Eventually, they got a script of the ground, I think, um, rewritten by Caleb Carr. Or maybe they, he rewrote it for um, later on, even for Rennie Harlan. I'm not sure. Like, there's, there's, it's a mess, okay? So, they got um, John Frankenheimer. I was, in, I want to say, in 2001. This, this movie finally got greenlit. There's some money behind it. They decided, like, let's do this. John Frankenheimer was tapped to direct. And let's just put it mildly, John Frankenheimer was not doing well at the time. Uh, in fact, he was not doing well so much that in 2002, he stepped down as the director before before even they started shooting and died like a month after. So he was seriously ill. He was on his deathbed and he, you know, like he, he, he just tapped out and said, like, I don't want to have, I, I can't do this. I'm sorry, guys. Right. So they they had to find someone to direct the movie and they found Paul Schrader. So he stepped in and uh, fill in, in the shoes, right? So anyway, in the, in the meantime, in on the sort of casting scene, I think Liam Neeson was supposed to play play the role of Father Marin. He didn't get to do this. Eventually, they found Stellan Skarsgård. Um, they also found um, Gabriel, you know, Paul Schrader found Gabriel Mann, uh, Clara Beller, Beller, Billy Crawford as Cheche. We're gonna get to him, and a bunch of other people. And he he ended up sort of conceptualizing the sort of prequel as a psychological thriller slash drama. I think that's kind of how you how you can put it. And um, I suppose the, the, this message didn't really get high up the uh, sort of Morgan Creek chain because I think they just let him let him do it. And when the, when he showed them the first edit, they were just like, "Where's the violence we were asking for?" Um, so he's like, "What violence?" Um, so they I think they fired him. Uh, and they said, no, no, you, you can't have this movie. And they decided, look, like we need to hire someone to reshoot bits of it. And they found Rennie Harlan. And apparently before he even signed on to do this, uh, he looked at the film that Schrader turned in, like the first set, and said, this is dog shit. Like, I'd rather reshoot it from scratch. And apparently they gave him enough money to mo- mostly kind of sort of do it. And they gave him even more money than they gave Schrader to do the first, to do the original film. So, long story short, Schrader's cut was shelved. Rennie Harlan decided to reshoot everything, but out of respect to um, to Paul Schrader, the entire cast, apart from Stellan Skarsgård, refused to come back from re- for reshoots. So he cast a, a bunch of other people, like in like among others, I think, um, well James Darcy, Isabella mm-hmm. Skorupko, which she's a Polish actress by the way, if you don't know, uh, Ralph Brown, and then a few other people. And then he, they just did this, did this movie more or less from scratch. However, like certain shots, I think they retained. If you if you watch closely, there are there are a few sort of like these crane shots that they kept. <sighs> Film was released in two thousand four. William Peter Blatty and um, Paul Schrader were at the premiere. Apparently, either they were asked out or they were just <laughs> something happened because they were laughing audibly. Um, the movie was absolutely derided by critics. People hated it. 
um, initially even was kind of given like an NC-17 uh, rating because, you know, like, Bernie Harlan put all the violence in that the producers were asking for, I suppose. So they had to put take some out because <laughs> they wouldn't be able to show it to anyone. But it didn't really matter because no one really wanted to watch it. So that's kind of what happened. Like 2004 um, was a massive disaster. Blatty said this was like an abomination. Everyone just, no one really wanted to, to have anything to do with this film. And after a while, they um, they thought maybe maybe this sort of the Shredder film wasn't that bad of an idea. Because initially they really have an idea to include the Schrader cut as the uh, DVD bonus feature on the DVD release of the of the Rennie Harlan film, but they said like, look, if we give this man this man like fifty thousand dollars or something like this, which is roughly what they gave him to to finish the movie, maybe we can get something out of this. So they they gave him fifty k, uh, so which apparently explains terrible special effects and um, let's just say lack, lacking ADR. Um, so he finished it. They gave him a limited um, theatrical run, which obviously no one saw. Some critics liked it, and then you know the movie kind of is just is what it is what it is now because no one really knew what it was. It's a bit of a footnote in Paul Schrader's filmography. Brings us to here and now. So how about we just talk about the two movies side by side? But let's first just go around the table. What do you guys think about the film that the world saw first? What do you think about Exorcist: Call in the beginning? <laughs> How about how about we start with Carson because we you know we're here for this <laughs> Carson tell us how much you love this movie five stars right um no not quite um I'll be very clear there's one reason I'm on this podcast like specifically this episode and it has nothing to do with this film um pretty bad I mean I think that's going to be a pretty general consensus here um beyond like the terrible visual effects beyond the terrible story behind like just the conceptual idioticness that comes from making an exorcist prequel right like i think what stands out to me about this film is how fucking boring it was i was sat there (laughs) literally not kidding watching this movie last night and i was like oh it must be wrapping up i'm gonna go quickly like um i need to use the bathroom whatever so i clicked a pause i was not even an hour in to the runtime and i thought i was literally like oh we're at the last 10 minutes we must be i've been sitting here for two hours um just like such a painful film to sit through and just does nothing i mean like it's just it's so bland and we'll talk about the schrader cut because i do think schrader has a much better vision for the overall project even if there's still issues um but there's just nothing here that like interested me nothing really here that works for me um a very lackluster underwhelming feature but that seems to be like the narrative of this franchise after the first one right like three definitely (laughs) has its moments but like i don't know i I don't think i would have walked into this film in what 2003 or whatever and been like 2004 and been like oh it's gonna be great so i just feel like this was shit but like yeah it sounds like it would have been like it's not shocking to me it's direct to peacock is what it is (laughs) It's worse than that. Jack, you tell us. <sighs> right. Do well, you love it? Someone someone needs to love this movie. This this movie is a child. This needs it needs a parent, okay? It needs a no, guardian. No, it doesn't. Um the, the one word to describe both of these films is just execution. Um you can read like, into you know, like, that, yeah, you can like, yeah. Like, well, like what kind of execution? Well, you can read into like that, by yeah, hanging or you can read you can read into that as much as you want, but the the the, the audacity of these two films is all about execution. If you're going to give Rennie Harlan the director's chair because you're impressed by his vision to make an Exorcist prequel, then I think you're doomed to fail, and that's on you. The other, the other aspect is a little bit, and I agree with Carson, it's a little bit less, more so unfair on Schrader's attempt. 
because Schrader's trying to go for something, but he's limited because of Morgan Creek in that in, in that that degree. So I do feel for for Schrader, but nevertheless, both of them are appalling. They're appalling for different reasons, but ultimately it rests on the same morals of trying to make something as a prequel to the Exorcist. There's nothing here that warrants a prequel whatsoever, in my opinion. I think, granted, it, they, they tried it twice to make a sequel, and they got it what, half right in the third film, depending on which version you watch. And, and even and that had... It's w- independent <clears throat> of which version you watch, as yeah, far as I'm ex- concerned. Yeah, and also agreed as well. <laughs> um, but that, that only had one party with Driz William Peter Blatty on board, the other one William Freakin, um, no chance. Here, both of them abstained. You're going to have a massive issue because there's no blood in this film or these films that hail back to that original or just the lifeblood of it. And you can tell it feels like two imitations of a franchise. And again, to agree with Carson, going into this in 2004 and then going into it a year later, I don't really know what to expect because both of them do not fill with any confidence. Both of them do not have any sort of entertainment value. Both of them are not thrilling. Both of them are not scary. Both of them don't have a particularly mindset of production design. There's no subtext to them. They're very much straight-laced. The Rennie Harlan version is about as unsubtle as you can imagine in a horror film. It's so unsubtle, it's beyond... It's, it's, it's actually beggar's belief. The Reagan makeup in, in the end, or the Regan one in the end, with, with, the, with the Sarah, it's, it's, it's just like you can tell by definition what they were trying to do, which is mimic. Nothing here stands on its own in, with the beginning. Dominion, I will say, there's an attempt to implement ideas, very much Schrader's ideas, but it feels like the same director who made Autofocus. It's not at the era of Schrader where he's more refined. I think, if, granted, if Schrader had made this film now before Master Gardener, I'd be far more interested to know what he would create, but alas, I still think the issues you would get and there would be the same result of not knowing the material, not understanding what made the first one great, which is not, not necessarily it's horror, which which Rennie Harley wanted to, to make, or it's thematic purpose with 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 with, um, with Schrader's attempt. It's a mixture of both, made in an era where it was just clinical to try get that out, and how they got it out is beyond belief. Now they don't have that issue to work with, so how can we elevate it? And there just isn't anything here. They're both bland. We, we we spoke about it. I think I can't remember about the um, heretic. <laughs> I tried to forget. I've tried to have repressed it, but a film, the one one cordial sin about it is it should not be, it should not be. Um, they 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 should be entertaining. Made. Yeah, well, they, they shouldn't be that, that granted. But a mortal sin of them not being entertaining, and these two are just boring. I mean, they're both two hours long, and they're just ever so boring. There's just no entertainment value whatsoever. At least in the Straders, you've got a bit more thematic. But for me, I think these are both absolutely diabolical. And the Rennie Harlan one is just, Jesus wept. I mean, it's just 2005. <laughs> Even the contemporaries they have against that, there's nothing there. They could have opened... Best year in cinema. History. Yeah, well, Revenge of the Sith, definitely. But, the, you know, the, you've, you've got mid-2000s where horrors come from uh, the 90s. It's, it's sort of making sort of another wave... You know, Japanese horror sort of maintained its early 2000s. It's probably dormant. It's in the American wave about elevated horrors here. What oh, can it's they the do? Platinum Doom era. Of, well, it's, like, it's, let's remake 
Texas Chainsaw Massacre. Yeah. It could, it, I would mm-hmm. just say the Hills of Eyes comes out, it becomes an era of remakes. This had an opportunity to stand tall on its own two feet. Yeah, remake The Exorcist and that make everyone hate Paul Schrader. But. It's just it's just bonkers, it really is. But again, if you're going to give the director um, chair to Rennie Harlan, what do you expect? What do you expect? Like, put Sylvester Stallone in it then. Like, are you just going to say <laughs> You know? Look, it wouldn't be half bad, actually, if you think about it. <laughs> I, I want Sylvester Stallone as Father Merrin. Yeah, that would have helped. Definition. Putting Liam Neeson as Father Merrin. It just it just seems like it, it's all being crafted against what made the first one brilliant, which was people who came from all, essentially theatre documentary backgrounds. That's within the, in the realm of um, actual production. With, with, with people who weren't there at the time, who were big major stars. Here... It tries to implement that, but nobody's got any charisma because I've written all one notes ever so boring. Like, I can't go on anymore to kill me. Please take sure. <laughs> Okay, oh Randy, put him out of his misery. Tell, tell us what you think about Exorcist colon the beginning. Uh, yeah, I, I'm not going to be the, the person to champion this. Oh my God, uh, Carson, and you said it too, Jack. Boring. This is such... A yawn, and like I remember when I was getting into film in the '90s, and Rennie Harlan was sort of the go-to guy for action films. But I was never convinced that he was much of a director. Like he he killed pirate movies with Cutthroat Island to a certain point. I never liked Die Hard too. I, I just I never saw really what he brought to the table, except pacing, right? Like, and he can sort of construct an action scene. That's all this is is just he's just got very. He's got a very bland, conventional, cliched, beat-for-beat type of look at this. Um, And I really found it dull, dull, dull. I believe The Exorcist should have completely been left alone, although there's so much money that it made. I also appreciate the effort to try to, you know, milk it. Um, But the original is like eating an amazing pizza at a wonderful Italian pizzeria. And you just love every second of that experience. And then, you know, a week later say, oh, I can do that. And you slap ketchup and processed mozzarella on bread Uh and microwave it. And this is sort of what you get. Um, You know, it's, I guess, sort of in the same family as that amazing thing that I had last week, but it really isn't. And that's sort of what I think this is. And, um, but also to, you know, to echo um, a sentiment that both Carson and Jack said, this is so boring and that's a sin. And, you know, (laughs) yeah, there you go. And Schrader has a little bit more to say. He's, he's trying stuff and you can probably squint and see some of his PTSD, Travis Bickle, you know, angry man carrying a burden stuff in there fine oh it's just oh again okay but, i have a note on this Fuck me. but uh <laughs> rennie harlan you squint at this and all you can see is him following sort of the standard beats that he and the producers think that audiences want why the hell is there a sandstorm in here because the they feel they need it because of the mummy yeah it you know it, it's there's nothing fresh. There's nothing of, of value that's brought to the table. And I think Rennie Harlan walks into the production meeting and say, oh, we need to splash it up with this visuals and we need to, you know, improve the pacing, which is ironic because the pacing just <laughs> doesn't work. Um, but he also takes this this uh, 
this background story of Marin's and he chops it up into parts because each one of those parts is a little bit of a change of pace. And that's, you know, part of his solution to uh, pacing. Now, this thing is a mess. There is nothing really all that interesting. And I could get behind it if it were more just of a straight up ripoff. And, you know, like the, the Nightmare on Elm Streets, you know, if you go that route, I can appreciate that. Uh, but no, this is trying to be its own thing and it's not anything. Rennie Harlan's is just a weak conventional mess. And a special, a special hate goes out to James oh, Robinson, <laughs> the Morgan <laughs> Creek guy who, you know, the throws money. who made this piece of shit are in this room. This is the guy who takes Vladdy at the end of Exorcist 3 and, you know, approaching the end of that production he catches wind of the fact that there's no exorcism in that so he whips <laughs> poor blatty the creator of the original and says go back i'll give you four million dollars go back and shoot an exorcism but there's no exorcism in the script take an extra week and write one i don't like, care if there isn't an exorcism in the script but an exorcism in this movie <laughs> so this is a guy that is so out of touch he's just throwing money around and he's not engaged. And then he sort of pulls the trump card. Well, I'm the boss of this production, so do it my way. And he's doing that with with Paul Schrader. Did, did he not check in with this production? And did he not see that it was meant to be a bit of a, you know, philosophical journey into sort of Marin's, you know, tortured past? So did he, he was not engaged. He doesn't like it. He says, no, we're going to do it again. This guy is... <sighs> the opposite of what a good studio head should be. I would have rather he just made something clear and be a piece of trash knockoff. Fine. You know, but this flip flopping and sort of showing the, the directors who you brought into it, that their efforts were not valued at all. No, this is stupid. Go change it just because of on some stupid whim, this James Robinson guy needs a wedgie. That's it. I'm done. <laughs> I think he's more than a wedgie, but you know, who's gonna say? Look, sorry, <laughs> over to you, Jacob. Look, uh, look, okay, well, just from behind the scenes, like this, this evening we're recording this and then and next week's episode, so which incorporates it includes sort of like let's just say having to watch three films. I had six days to watch three films and I barely made it. Partly because I'm busy and partly because it's so, so... Like, these movies are all three and a half days long, as far as I'm concerned. Like, it's... Like, I totally agree with Carson. Like, you just pause this movie, like... And you think, like, wow, this... Like, we're almost done here. No, mm-mm. No, it's 20 minutes. <laughs> it's 20 minutes is what it was. It's just so bad. <laughs> I'm just like, why? Uh, but you know like I may have a hot take later on so you're gonna hate me anyway but because this movie is kind of borderline unwatchable and I'm just and I'm wondering this like you know when you when you want to kind of imitate Spielberg and you need someone like a jobber directly hire like someone like Ron Howard right Um, and you when when you want to imitate um, Ridley Scott you hire Renny Harlan uh, and then what happens is like a movie that looks kind of like it belongs with like Resident Evil sequels. Like it's visually so bad. Like it's the CPS, it's like mid 2000s, right? It looks like Resident Evil Afterlife or something like that. It's really bad. Agreed. 
Mm-hmm. Uh, <laughs> Terrible aesthetic. I mean, I get like the oh, yeah, music, like it's straight out of Ridley Scott. Like this looks like James Robinson probably told Renny, like you're here for a reason. Like, like you know, like like they used to tell Michael Bay, like you know, like look at what Tony Scott's doing. Do a little bit of that, and then just fine. Put the camera on the floor, cant it a little bit, and pretend you're John Woo. I don't care, but you know, like it has to look like this. Okay, fine. The same story, in, in my opinion. They just they, this movie's bad. It's chopped up, makes very little sense, and and cardinal sin again. I agree with everyone in in the room. It's boring, you know. Like occasionally, I was just thinking maybe I should just rewatch The Heretic for a second, just to just remind Stop. myself what. I'm, yeah, I know, because it's it's marginally marginally better than The Heretic, I'd say. Uh, and I gave The Heretic zero stars. I thought you were going to give it minus at one point. I think we all it. <laughs> oh, that was an option. <laughs> yeah. If it was an option, sure. But holy shit, like, uh, like you know, this this whole idea of doing these prequels and sequels to The Exorcist as a month theme like sounded great in theory. This was a great idea on paper, but this is a struggle. <laughs> it has been. It has been hard. It's I didn't. I didn't see that coming either. I hated this film with a passion. And now I'm uh, now I'm interested, Carson, because I think Jack, you you already kind of just showed your hand a little bit. What do you think about the um, the Schrader film? Like in comparison, better? Not better? Like where do you stand? Because I think like we all we we all know where we are on the Harlan film, which is, oh, but yeah, where do you stand on the the Schrader film? Okay, so I like it a lot more, but you also have to understand that I'm, like, a Schrader stan, right? Like, if you look at my heart with, my, like, working directors, half of it belongs to Luca Guadagnino, you know, half of it belongs to Paul Schrader. So, like, anytime he directs a film, I'm going to try to give him the benefit of the doubt. I think that his vision, like, definitely issues, right? Especially in that third act. Does it lose the <laughs> plot? Absolutely. And go into, like, this really wild final sequence? Absolutely. Though I think, like, if it wasn't tied to the Exorcist franchise, I could probably give it the benefit of the doubt, how I would, like, enable Ferrara film where i'm like yeah it's crazy and kind of terrible but like yeah, i don't know it's fun um tied to the exorcist just shockingly bad of an ending but um i think the i mean a lot of what schrader's kind of is obsessed with as far as like redemption um as far as these characters who have gone through moral hell let's say and are trying to find a way forward a lot of that is here i think the ties between the past with the nazis uh tied with more explicit moments of um colonialism in africa i think like a lot of that works where like i don't think it's like a masterpiece but i think there's at least something here of substance that schrader is going for that i think is expressed far better than um the beginning is so i'm definitely more of i would not say like a masterpiece i gave it like three stars but um I definitely am way more of a fan of that film. Oh boy! Can I just add something? Just, just because I know, because I know, I basically put, dealt my hand a little bit too early. But it's interesting you you bring up Exorcist to her um, heretic, uh, heretic, whatever it's called. <laughs> I'm ill. Um, but on the, I remember on that podcast we did. I, I remember saying that I quite appreciate that John Borman at least went for something. He had an idea, and he just and, uh, granted the, the end result is is murky and very bleak. But um, he actually went for something that was an antithesis of what the first one was. And uh, granted, well, I think that's a wrong decision. I do admire No, no, no. Let me finish because I don't want to get caught up here because it might sound terrible. But I do do sort of admire the fact that someone went for something. Granted, the end result is terrible. It's interesting when we talk about Schrader's attempt here because I wonder if we're going to give more plaudits to Schrader's attempt at doing something different 
but I don't think that's an attempt of doing something different to the narrative. I think it's doing something different to what we've seen before, which is actually invest in the characters. That's the theory I've got about these two films. I think if anyone else had done Dominion, I think we would be talking a little bit more, oh, it's just the same as Harley, but because Schrader has this technique of wanting to investigate characters, I think Father Merrin is a really interesting uh, ploy for him to investigate through his own means of psychological torment. Because I think if you if you put this with the first Reformed, I think they're quite interesting features. Nevertheless, Jesus, no, no, did no. you mention the first Reformed in this film in the same sentence? In the terms of exploring a, a, a character who struggles with the idea of, <laughs> of torment and religion. Granted, it's really sick. No, no, no. Yeah, <laughs> this exactly. man is really... Oh, yeah, definitely. This man's it. down with the you, you can't use me, You can't use this in a court of law, I'll tell you that right now, but I do think there's, a, there's an interesting parallel between the two, but we have to look at 2005 and 2017, and I think I think you're right partly on, on what you said about the era. There's no one in this era who takes horror by by the bull, by the by the bull by the horns. There's just takes n- horror by the bull. Like, by, by the bull, by the horns. How much cough syrup did you ingest today, sir? I'm on it. It's, coming, it's, it's, it's flowing through my veins. <laughs> But if you look, if you look at horror now, you have Ari Aster, you have James Wan, you have Lee Whannell. You've got quite a few horror. Um, uh, Dan Savage. You've got quite a few people coming up. Mm, who, Jennifer who, Kent. Yeah, exactly. You've got a lot of people who primarily use the uh, the genre of horror. In the nineties, you've got a few. In the eighties, you've got quite a few. In the seventies, you've got quite a few. The two thousands for me is where you've got the Paul W. Sandersons. You still have James Wan. Well, this is what I wanted to get into because I think. The Rennie Harlan thing. Had, what's the guy's name? Oren Pelly? The guy who did Paranormal yeah, Activity? Well, but these are these are late 2000s. Because if you look at James one, it's a, it, Saw is, a, is, is the same year as, as this. And they're very much, <coughs> excuse me, rough around the edges. But it's interesting that if they'd have waited a few years to maybe 08, and that let, let, then let James one take over, I think you, you, you'd have had a quite an interesting feature. But someone who would also would have worked with the cinematic quality, because these films, Dominion specifically, they don't work on a cinematic flair, they work on a fundamental flair of investigate character, infer character, let them blow up, let them blow up. Granted, the Schrader one, you've got a lot more packed there. The Rennie Harlan one, you you just don't. But it would be interesting if they could match the two, because I've just been watching the Insidious stuff. When you look at something like The Conjuring, and then you look at something like Insidious... I think James Wan would have been perfect here, but the problem is, is that the early 2000s, it just doesn't have that auteur yet in horror. So Schrader's an interesting one. I do commend, I commend, I commend Rennie, Rennie Harling going for this as well. But I think that Schrader's one's the interesting you one. You mean because, paycheck? Well, I, I, to, to, to that's go, what that's what this movie, like Schrader also went after a paycheck anyway. Like, let's just not kid ourselves. But you, you said in your opening, like Paul, they, they gave Paul Schrader a budget of 35 million to make Dominion, right? By the time that the beginning was was oh, in post production, come on, hold on, let yeah. me just double, yeah. double check you this. You can double check it, gobshite. But when yeah. um, when they get up to um, Dominion, when when the beginning came out, it went to ninety million. I think that's so unfair on Paul Schrader. And it's interesting that I think if we didn't have this film, I think Schrader could really have gone to the gone to the nines for it. But because it's been released and there's not much there, I do feel slightly sorry for him. However, however. I do look at this and just think if they'd have waited a few more years and let Schroeder develop or give him the budget, I think an early 2000, maybe 2010 uh, released it for this could have been very interesting. 
Yeah, and that's the, that's Robinson in my mind. Like so, agreed, so disrespectful. Yeah. Like uh, Blatty, same thing on Exorcist Three to a point. Mm-hmm. Why hire Blatty. them? Yeah, why hire them? It's like I just I, yeah. I do find it very strange, and it's interesting that this has happened before with with Legion, where there's two versions of it, but they held on. I mean, they held on with, with the two versions of the film, but here to remake it not only makes J- Robinson look like an absolute prat, makes mm-hmm. Morgan Creek look absolutely stupid. But then mm-hmm. to release Dominion and to do it in festivals and to give him some money, only only give him 35 grand, I think it was, or maybe, maybe a little yes, bit less. that's kind of what, I'm, what I read, that they gave him $35,000. I just think that's so condescending. Re- yeah. Jake. It's like it's I like mean, a, yeah. it's like um running a farm and like just like no I don't know what I was going to say there I don't even I don't know <laughs> you know what like just leave it there <laughs> I mean at least it was released right like I I think there's a very big I mean look at like background like I mean like I think there's a very big world where like this film just never would have been released I think Schrader obviously cares about this film to some degree right like I think it is something that he is invested in that he wanted to see get released for whatever it is. So I, I'll appreciate that. I think the bigger issue comes not even from like the era it's made in, but I think the biggest issue is just the ties to the actual original film and the restrictions put on that with this character, with the narrative, with what it's going for. I think the exploration of this character is interesting enough, but I feel like it's very redundant if you've seen the first film as far as this man trying to find the power of faith after losing a sense of that, going through trauma. Like I just feel like there's nothing here and I feel like it just feels so redundant and lackluster and it never can evolve and it never can fully go. I think where Schrader would go looking at Schrader's other works mm-hmm. um, because it has to play into that original. It's restricted by this franchise. I don't think being in 2010 would have fixed those issues fundamentally. Um, I think that it just is like an issue with, I wish they just gave this money for Schrader to make an original film about a priest yeah. who has an exorcist at the end. Right. Like okay. I, I, I think better. that, yeah, I agree. I think that uh, Schrader's involved because he sees these uh, these morsels in Marin's character that he can work with. That you know he's worked in with with other characters. Um, you know, the first Reformed, although the quality of these films you know bear no resemblance at all. Um, but you know, one of the things that 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 men can struggle with is their faith, and you know, so a, a broken man lost his faith, questioning this, questioning that. Um, and the internal struggle that goes with that, that, that's, I think, what the appeal is to to Schrader to be involved, that in the paycheck. I, 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 I way, hold on, just, just cool. quick, just quickly, just, Randy, just, yay or nay, which, which way do you sway? Schrader's film is better or not? Be- better than First Reformed? <laughs> no. Or better than Rennie Harlan's <laughs> yes, that's piece of cod yeah. swallop? Um, yo, yeah, like, Schrader's is, Schrader's is better. Schrader's is better. But, right. you know, it's it's still really boring. It, you know, it's the same. It's the same long, laborious, chewy inside, even though the chocolate exterior is a little different. That's why I, that's why I bring up the the, tw- the 2010s, not because I, th- I think that the, the technology is there. I just think there's more filmmakers coming through with the cinematic palette because how regardless of how good Schrader is behind the camera and he has a cinematic quality in regards to what I've tried to mention with First Reformed, the problem you've got is the material here, and like, like what Car- Carson said, and also what Randy said, is that it's limited. You, you, you don't, I don't think this is, um, I don't think this is trapped in a prequel as many other films are, like it has to get start from A to B. We ultimately have a little bit more time to play with, which ironically, this, these films don't do. They had ample time throughout years to create something, 
and he set it within what what is like a month, which is very strange for me. But regardless, I just think that there's a limited amount of visual flair in both of them, which is something that could elevate the material because there's nothing you can really do with this in that one man's lost his faith. We're going to find out how. And then by the end of the film, he's going to reform at least some form of faith. So if you've got a limited amount of, let's say, expertise you can put on the on the screenplay, I would then have thought that, well, then let's look at the the um, the, the aesthetic, looks like the cinematic quality. Because been looking at Freakins, the, the original, you know, there's so there's so much plaudits there just in in cinematic quality to elevate the feature to heighten up tension the, the to ice out the, the the room you know to use practical effects both films here go against that and utilize more cgi it's very strange how these two try and take it into the early 2000s and just and it's just that problem with those that that era where horror isn't quite there at the point that the next wave is going back to the well there isn't enough audience in here to sort of want to go see this. There's not enough material. To me, it would seem that they're both doomed to start with. So it, 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 to, it, I find it very strange why even these were put into production because I don't even think many people would have gone to watch this on, 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 on uh, for first weekend anywhere. So Nobody I, I, did. Yeah, no. exactly. And I, I, granted, they're cheap. They're, they're quite cheap, 35 million and the other one, you know, granted balloon, but there's not really an audience from there either. There was never really an audience for The Exorcist. It was the fact of, People are vomiting in the, in the in the aisles. That you got to see the version that never existed. That's the, the the trials that they've lived on. They've lived on hysteria more more than anything. But the problem with the film is that it just works. Well, they live in the fact that the movie was great. Yeah, exactly. It it also works, yeah. That, <laughs> yeah, that's a second wind it has. It can fall back on one of its best. If the positives. hysteria gets people in in seats, and 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 the fact that Friedkin's film was was amazing got the word of mouth so that, so that for begs- people to queue out queue outside of cinemas the f- 24 exactly. cinemas that it was running in exactly for like a few weeks until they realized like guys we need to roll this out like pronto because so otherwise do, like, we're that, losing money here doesn't that beg the question of what's the emphasis of getting people to watch these two then and the either film cannot answer that because it doesn't have anything and mm-hmm. that that's one that's the major issue both of these films have that you can't make anything that gets bums on seats because it doesn't have anything at all Neither mm-hmm. one of them do. Not even Schrader, who at the yeah. time was sort of like just a sort of second wind Scorsese Abel Ferreira. You know, I hate to say, but he was a screenwriter. You know, that's all he was at that time. He made autofocus. No one, to, no one went to go see it. The eighties, the eighties though, allowed a, a couple uh, producers to come forward, like Sean Cunningham um, with the Friday the Thirteenth, and then and Robert Shea, yeah. and and Robert Shea, uh, especially with. Um, uh, Nightmare on Elm Street. So that series figured out how to repackage, own the core of what made the first one work and repackage it, present it in a palatable manner. Audiences knew what to expect. Audiences knew, um, you know, what, what they were in for. It's a little bit of reinvention along the way. Most of those are hits, whether you like them or not, you know, whatever. Um, but Robert Shea at least understood the packaging uh, Morgan Creek doesn't have a sweet clue about how to package a horror film. Don't you think, so, Randy, though, the irony of those two franchises you mentioned, mm-hmm. by the time we get to this, are both dead as well. Yeah. Everything horror, is a life cycle, be, but sure. Yeah, granted, but I, th- yeah. I, th- I think the... the end had the, been dead for a while. Yeah, yeah but in, I, I also think audiences have a change. I think, I just again, I think the 2000s go from the 90s to the 2010s. It's a very strange thing because you've got, you've got 9-11, You've got the you've got the uh, 
you've got the, the war in, in, in Iraq. You've got a very different time for what audiences want. And I think that horror gets put on the burn back there and you get like, anger, you get like the Sandler re, um, renaissance again. Like, um, uh, I disagree. I, I, no, I don't. I, 1999. No, no, no. Oh, no, no. Hold on, hold on. In the in 2000s, you had a big wave of J-horror. You have big wave of found That's footage. not American horror, though. That's not a monobout. No, but just horror still exists. It's just Hollywood has no idea what to do with it. And like it takes them like until what, the remake of The Ring to try and figure out, okay, this is how we do it, and they still fail. But right. horror exists. Yeah, it's again, just like American audiences go to foreign horror films. Yeah, but then again, you've just said they had to remake The Ring. I think the, the 2000s for, for American horror... But a born, born and bred in in in, that, in the United States has a real hard time to a find an audience and b have have a sense of creativity. I think the Japanese J horror, which is again a subtext for issues against um, the electronic. That was two thousand two, by the way. Just d- double checked. Which one? The the American remake of The Ring. Yeah, exactly. And then they spawned a sequel by the same director. It was terrible. Mm-hmm. I just, and also, I, there was the, the film. Uh, was it The Grudge? Yeah, the, oh, yeah. It, there's it, a few like it. Horror, Dark Water was also remade. Horror always tends to run a course, and the course lasts around a decade. Um, so you get the 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 found footage is is in there. You get the torture porn stuff like that's James Wan when Saw and like Eli Eli Roth, Eli well, Roth yeah. is in there. So you get these reinventions. Um, you know, I don't say the Texas Chainsaw Massacre remake. What was that two thousand four, three, something like that? Yeah, something like that. Uh, so horror is constantly in a, a state of reinvention because it just sort of runs its course. And, you know, the eighties, I think also taught us, taught us that because once you get four or five of these films, I think by the time Wes Craven came back to new nightmare, if I'm not mistaken, that made no money at all, but the first five or six had done quite well, you know, people Mm -hmm. get tired and, you know, we've been saying for a long time, like it's it's going to happen to superheroes. It's going to happen to superheroes. This stuff goes in waves. And now finally, you know, this is the year of the flop buster. So no one really cares about that either. So, um, yeah, it's just it's just interesting to me that you know like Robert Shea sort of figured it out and he ran sort of a tight ship and it it went well with Nightmare on Elm Street, but The Exorcist was just this anomaly and it's so unique unto itself too. Like it's like that very special pizza. It's just really hard to recreate that, but it's this property that made so much money. It's a household name. How can we milk this? How can we milk this and, and get some money out of it? And no one at Morgan Creek knows, so they're just <laughs> trying stuff. So can I drop a hot take? I hate the Schrader film more. Oh wow! Hmm. Okay. Why? Do you know why? Because Rennie Harlan doesn't know better as a filmmaker. Like he, his ceilings. Oh, that's there. unfair, Jakub. That's yeah, unfair. his ceilings there as a director. Like he's just okay. Well, he he's just like he's like he's artistically limited to just just being a knockoff Ridley Scott. That's all he can ever do. Meanwhile. That's a good Rennie, you stayed inside the lines. <laughs> I know, exactly. Good job. <laughs> Gold star, you know. It's just, meanwhile, Paul Schrader can do better. Like, first reform is, is like, you, you, can, you set this movie, like, side by side with first reform with blue collar, with hardcore. There's no comparison, right? And I'm just wondering, like, I'm asking myself, like, why, first of all, like, why do you agree to do this? First of all, like Mr. Schrader, like why, like, because I think Jack, you just mentioned this at some point before that he's a screenwriter, right? Like that's kind of how he's, what he's known. But I think there's, it kind of extends a bit more. He's a screenwriter first and a director second. And I think there's also a film critic somewhere in there as well, right? So I feel like 
he's like whenever he doesn't write his own shit and he has to he works with other people's material he just it doesn't even touch the quality of what he can potentially do and even when he writes his own stuff sometimes i have problems with them right but o- overall like he this is someone else's script i don't know he mm-hmm. sees again like he, he he's just he can't just get over taxi driver again Right, I have a feeling because that's that's his, that's the demon that keeps coming back to to haunt his dreams. Like every single script of his that actually has any sort of value is essentially tied to Taxi Driver in some fashion and essentially remakes the Searchers, right? But this, I'm just I just feel like he agreed to this because like I can maybe turn this into a Taxi Driver sort of like a like a postscript again. Like okay, but. I, like you know, I have a problem. Like again, this, again, this movie is like three and a half days long. I'll, I'll put it that way. It takes it takes forever to finish. I don't know half the time why he does certain things, and like uh, when when he's laying out these sort of philosophical sort of exposés, it's so unsubtle that it just hurts me. And I know this guy can do better than this. That's kind of my problem with it. Like because like I've seen him deliver. Meanwhile, like I've seen, when I when I when I see Rennie Harlan deliver, like you know cliffhanger is 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 what you can accomplish like it's an action film that's all you can do like i, I wouldn't expect Rennie harlan to um you know write hardcore even with hardcore shits the bed have uh, in in its latter half but you know like i i wouldn't expect him to kind of just climb into this sort of the echelon of bringing out the dead or um or uh, or writing rolling thunder i wouldn't expect him ever to do that Right. Meanwhile, I I fully expect like with full Paul Schrader in two thousand three to know better than to say yes to to making this movie unless his lifestyle demanded that he needed to like pay off his helicopter or whatever the fuck and he needed money. Oh, yeah, I don't that's know. That's unfair. That's unfair. I think first and foremost, why is it unfair? Like I've, I've like no, he's a big boy. He should have said no. No, I, I don't. I don't. I don't, dis- I, don't <laughs> I don't disagree with all what you said. I appreciate some of it. However. I do think that partly some of it is down to the issues of Morgan Creek not giving him the probably stability that Again, he needed. Again, you can say, fine, I'll but, but, walk but, away. Okay, Just but walk as you, away. But as you know, when 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 Legion was made, he didn't. It, there was there wasn't exist in the screenplay. Existing in the screenplay that was the deal, and then Morgan Creek went back on that. I can't I can't say the same happened here, although I can I can surmise. I do also to agree with you about making this. I don't think there's any love for Schrader in this material. Nor do mm-hmm. I probably think there'd be any love for him in the first film. I think if you look at his filmography and you look at two years before, he made Autofocus. It's well respected, critically mm-hmm. regarded, but nobody went to see it. Then he made this. Then he made the, the Walker Woody Harrelson. Nobody went to see it. Then he made Adam Resurrected in two thousand and eight. Nobody went to see it. He, he needed a commercial hit. And I think this was a good opportunity for him to do it. However, very much like you, I agree with it. If you're not going to put your heart and soul into something. Just leave don't it. bother. I agree with it, yeah, but I do think that the man had to work with one hand behind his back, and the end result, the the the, the opinion should sort of rectify that as well, because I think, I think there's a lot here that he's attempting to do, and a lot of it doesn't come off. But there's still that issue of the Morgan Creek in the background going, yeah, I don't like this. Let's pull this away and pull that away. I do. I honestly do think he's working with one hand behind his back. However, to agree with you, don't go to this and think you can just do something with it with no heart on soul, that to me is more patronising as well. So I do agree with that yeah. regard. 
I feel like it's an interesting that I'm maybe alone on this island here and that's fine. But like, I feel like there is a lot of heart and soul from Schrader in this. I feel like, I don't know, like you can talk about what should he have been there. And I don't think he necessarily care. I don't think this film is crafted in a way where he's trying to make this a commercial hit. But I don't think that bothers him per se. Mm-hmm. I think that Schrader, if you look throughout his filmography, maybe not every film, but in a lot of films, I think he uses cinema as like a form of therapy. And I think you mentioned it perfectly, Jack, when you mentioned, I think when you look at the era this was made in 2003 specifically before it was pushed and everything, you look at the state of America after 9-11, you have war, you have all this stuff, this real world atrocities that you're trying to deal with. And this film is entirely about a man trying to find his peace and try to find a path forward in face of real world atrocities that he's witnessing literally like throughout his life. I think that when you look at that, like there's very clearly, in my opinion, a heart and soul or a purpose or a point from Schrader to why he's taking this or why he's resonating with the story to where he would jump into this role. I don't think it's as necessarily hollow or as cheap of a like moral purpose of him being on set and doing this film than necessarily you guys are presenting. Uh, But maybe I'm just like, and also I think that a lot of it, Jakob, what you said, like I'm very open to the idea that like, he was not given the support during production. So I'm willing to excuse a lot of that, maybe more than I should. But I don't necessarily agree with this narrative being painted that like Schrader's just here to make a commercial effort or Schrader doesn't care. He's not giving his heart and soul to this. There are definite issues. It's not perfect by any means. And yes, he's also still developing as a director, as you mentioned. But like, I think there is when you look at the narrative of his filmography, this fits very much so in. I know he didn't write the screenplay, but this feels to mm-hmm. me like a Schrader screenplay. So I don't know. I see that um, at least. So just to put it in perspective, as in like, I think Schrader was hired, as in was hired to make a commercial picture. What Schrader, uh, when he was hired, what Schrader wanted to do was something else, right? Agreed. What my mm. my problem with it is, look, he's he's at this point he had been in the industry for three decades. He should have known, like you, you like you know, you just you won't get away with it, right? So. Because sure, but I'd rather he try than be Chloe Zhao and make Eternals and have it be a piece of a shit film, right? Like, I'd rather if, someone what? come in and try to make something special that makes something work. Like, yeah, I acknowledge all that, but, like, why should he just give in to what the studio wants? That's not the... I don't think that's the MO of why anyone celebrates film is just, like, oh, he just did the lazy thing and made a commercial film for them. Like, fuck that, right? I mean, for me, this would have been... Like, at this, at this point, the guy who, well, at this point is an Oscar winner as well, right? I don't know, be upfront. As in, this is me just psychoanalyzing a guy I haven't met, right? But in, like, you know, like be upfront and tell them like, look, this is what I'm going to do. This is not an Exorcist prequel. This is movie is called Dominion. And if, if anything, this is going to be related to the, the Exorcist the way I wish the, the film Legion would have been related. As in like, fuck the Exorcist. One, one's called The Exorcist. The other one's called Legion. The other one's going to be called Dominion. Spiritual relationship, thematic. And then just leave it there. And tell these producers where to go. Like, I don't care about your property, whatever you, whatever you own. This is something else, you know? This is for critics to connect to The Exorcist, not for the audiences based on like, ooh, it has the, the thing before the colon. I don't care, right? He should have, he had the clout to do this and he didn't for some reason, right? And at this point, maybe maybe he's like 10 years too early for this because this could have been the, the Snyder Cut of its time, you know? If you know what I mean? As in like, no, let it, let it, let it, gestate and mature on the shelf until fans of the guy demand that this is released and maybe crowdfund some kind of work to be put in there but then one question i kind of wanted to 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 ask you guys as well because whether we like it or not this movie is related to the to the exorcist even by virtue of its title right 
how does it function as a prequel? Whether there's any point in m making a prequel in this? What's your thoughts about? What are your thoughts on actually this sort of aspect of this movie? Like where, where, do, how does this movie relate to to the Exorcist, and whether there's any any point or any life in doing so? How do you feel about that? I'd like to go first here because I'm going to get quite angry. Um, Jesus, so, so <laughs> like both versions, by the way. Like you know, like, let's not leave Renny Harlan. Like oh on, no, on, I wouldn't. You know, like I wouldn't in, in the corner, I you know, dare. like he deserves, <laughs> he deserves to be. No, he'll be, a, he'll know, be like named and changed. Sort of His name's on the list. Don't worry. Um, look, I, I watched um, uh, Leap of Faith, the the William Freaky documentary, because I know you guys mentioned it on the uh, the Exist episode. Anyone who's listening to this, please go listen to it. You two did a really amazing job on that. Three hours, really informative, really interesting, really fun. Um, I did a lot of research to go on that episode. Unfortunately, I, I couldn't make it. Time restrictions. I tapped out and. Look at look at listen to me now. Listen to me now. Um, but um, I got I, I watched Fear of God and I watched Leap of Faith, which is the should original. Leap of Faith is like the Brian De Palma documentary by Noah Baumbach, just him in a room talking about about, about his films, but specifically talks about The Exorcist. And I could not have watched it at a better time to even appreciate that first film even more. Listen to a maverick of a, of a, a filmmaker discuss choice, discuss reasons for what he was doing. And he talks about the opening of the original Exorcist about Father Merrin in Baghdad. And he talks mm -hmm. about that it's led to all to be read. So he didn't put that that um, that Pazuzu um, a little statue that he finds in the rubble and he, and he gets quite shocked by it. That's read to be both ways in the fact that he may not know what that is or that he's seen this before. And then when he sees the monster, uh, sorry, not the monster, when he sees the statue, sorry, of the monster and he, and he stops there and we, we cut with the sun into Georgetown Again, we're inferring that there's going to be something that happens, but maybe something's happened beforehand. But there's also a mention of that when when he comes to the house, the demons through Regan says, "Marin, Marin." I think Randy mentioned this on the Exorcist podcast as well. There's, there's there's conscious efforts there to imply, but also never take away from what you're watching on screen. These two films, right, don't have any ambiguity of that at all. It focuses one unsubtle note of a character that we all know, we all know from A to B, and it cannot justify any of its actions other than what we get on that linear path. So the one thing about these two films, it's actually one of the positives, is Stellan Skarsgård, who I think is probably perfectly cast here. But mm. he puts, weirdly, two very different performances in these films. In Rennie Harland's, he's very, 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 very chirpy. He's not an all, he doesn't feel, feel a character that's, that's grim, he feels like a character that's slightly chirpy. He's going through a lot of shit. In Schrader's version, that's a man who's 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 dead and dug up. It's it's actually quite horrifying to watch. Yet in both both sort of issues surrounding the films, there's nothing there aside from the the Nazi um, um, uh, uh, prequel flashback esque bits. God isn't here today, Doc Priest. Yeah, hmm. which is interesting how they both implement them. So Rennie Harlan implements them through like uh, sound cuts. So we get a sound of, of people marching. We go back. <laughs> he does it like Michael Bay. He does it. Just like, he does it. Like, he does it like. Cut um, to the eye. Yeah, he does it like Ridley Scott. Rub this up. But that to me, that to me is a very unsubtle way to do it. Schrader, I think, does it the right way, where he opens it up. We get the marching. He sets the tone, and I do think that the two differences when you say about your question. Really, after the first twenty minutes of Schrader's, it's sort of done. We're just watching the inevitable. With Rennie Harlins, he at least edits it in a way that there's like snippets, 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 and then we get to it, and it, and it's just before the second to its third act to lead us into it. 
there's very interesting ways about how they do that, but the actual core of it, it's just not really interesting. We get we get quite horrifying moments, but after that, nothing leads up to the characters. It, again, it's it's very difficult to to watch Father Merrin and and, and in the in the original and be thinking, God, there's so much more character there. No, it doesn't work like that. It works as a convention to fool the audience. It's all technique. In these two, they, they try and give a lot more character to to a, to a to another character that doesn't really have much substance. I'm trying to think of an example, but it's almost like having like a third party character in a, in a Marvel movie and making a spin off to him. This is her. you know like th- this is a spin off about Boba Fett. Yeah, you know, yeah, yeah. It's iconographer. And the, and, <laughs> That's kind of what yeah. it is. Yeah, he had a cool costume. Yeah, do you know what? Let's write a book about how he got out of the Sarlacc pit. And that, <laughs> that being said, though, I do think there is there is substance somewhere of really making a detailed 10-year epic about a, a, a person who is really struggling with, with what happened in Holland in 1944. And I think it's a problem I mentioned earlier about these two well, you films. You don't have to make it an exorcist film. Like This could no, just be about, about a guy who lost faith because he had to point out a, 10 villagers to be shot and then he refused and they and they gunned, them all, gunned down all of them. No, I, I, right? I, don't, I don't disagree with Spoiler you. Spoiler alert. Yeah. yeah, I don't disagree with you, but, but for where we are now, we've got it's an exorcist prequel like you said before. Unfortunately, it, it's there at the house. It's, it's the anthology. But I still think there's definitely a lot of material there to, to, to explore. The problem is, is that it doesn't do anything with that material. It has it has the flashback in both of them. It's again cut into different ways into the film, but then we're just in Africa. Where when then we go to slightly to Nairobi, but we're just primarily in Africa. And the problem is, is that you don't get to see any sort of evolution of the character. The actual exorcist itself, the exorcism itself, is the evolution. And to me, everything else is just a massively wasted amount of time. We're just watching characters interact, boring characters. So again, just go. There's I think there's reason to have this as a prequel. I'm not against it, but the problem is, is the material that's present, fundamentally, there's just no substance to it whatsoever in both versions. Boys, your thoughts on? Oh, again, for me, why, why ruin the memory of that amazing pizza that I had last week and just put ketchup and uh, on bread and heat it up in the microwave? Like, there's just no comparison, but... um, I, I I get the idea here, and I, I agree with Carson that I think that there's something here that I think Schrader thinks he can do something with this, and like I, I don't I, I don't hold the belief that he's just strictly after the paycheck. He is, but like I think that he thinks he can do something with this because there's there's a there's a tortured male protagonist. Like why is he tortured? And and then he comes back to this whole Nazi thing and as Adam resurrected, for example. Like it's it's there. This is Schrader's MO. So he sees that. I think the fact, Jakob, you're right. The fact he doesn't write it or that his first order of business in taking this job is influencing a rewrite, I, I think that does a, a big disservice because then he's trying to find the Schraderisms on set with the performances. So you do get a little bit of a more thoughtful performance uh, from Stellan Skarsgård, I would suggest, with with Schrader, because he's probably had these conversations about the character in the background and, and this type of thing. Uh, I think the the these this this flashback business, this prologue to this horrible day in, during during the war with the, this Nazi a hole. This scene, this very very tragic and you know 
horrible, horrible scene. This is like Jack said, it's well handled in the, uh, in the Schrader business because this is what he cares about. So you, you, you lead with your good foot. This is what I care about. This, this, this background. And this is why he left the priesthood and, and he doesn't have faith because he gets into this idea, you know, evil is just in man anyway. So like that, I think is why like you have these thematics that are there being, it's being projected onto this war with the locals that I don't care about at all. So I don't care about, you know, the, the locals. You don't care about British British colonialism. So, yeah, I, not in this oh, film, <laughs> not in this film, but I think it's there because it's, it's a projection of this theme. Evil is inside men anyway. So, you know, men, you know, the whole business with uh, the British major who, who kills the child. And I may be forgetting which film this is in, but anyway, no, that's in this one. That's, that's in this one. Yeah. yeah. So, you know, that basically the, the, the British are turning into the Nazis. So evil isn't necessarily a spirit it's in it's in it's in men men have that evil within them and you know not to you know throw spotlight on headlines but it's happening today across the world like it's so these are the things i think that interest Schrader, it's there is just so much boring plot to get through these moments and these themes don't have enough space to breathe i would much rather spend time with a character in another schrader film where the character's not doing a lot plot wise but you're learning a lot about him and you're getting senses of his struggles and his backgrounds and his tortured soul that keeps getting interrupted here because we got to go check on cheche and whatever (laughs) so uh it's it's just not a good vehicle for schrader but i see him being connected to it. I, I see him thinking maybe he can do something with it. And maybe in this era too, there's something to say about, um, I think some studios are trying to pull auteurs into the fold to try to make hits. Like it's only around now that Scorsese is turning into a hit monger again, because he wasn't any guarantee of a hit in the nineties, but it's, I think 2002, I want to say is gangs of New York. That's when, he sort of got back into sort of the fun fact: the, the money making side. Sh- the Nazi scene is shot on the same set. Oh, oh wow! wow. <laughs> Interesting. Um, yeah, so like, and even too like, like if you think like Tarantino in the nineties, he he wasn't the auteur whose films necessarily made money. Thinking of Jackie Brown and you know Kill Bill wasn't necessarily a slam dunk uh, type of thing. So I, I and we talked about it a bit just what's the relationship between the studios and auteurs during the 2000s. You got guys out there like Soderbergh and Clooney who are trying to make the 30, $40 million film and get new guys in there that, that have creative voices or bring, you know, older guys in there that, you know, have, haven't been around it. So maybe this is Schrader just saying, well, you know, this is my gangs of New York, or this is me doing sort of a mid-level production in a genre and trying to bring some something to it. And it missing, sure. Um, but I, I think there's probably a bit of a, an, an effort in there. And then his hands are tied because of the script, <laughs> you know, maybe expectations of, of the genre to a certain point. Um, if he had had an opportunity to rework that script first, maybe, maybe we get a lot more out of it, I, I have to think. You know what? I, 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 I hate to be the, the the gloomster in the room, but I Here actually look. He it's kind of like the 
Curse of Hardcore for me because he kind of shits the bed at the end by not necessarily knowing how to kind of bring it home because I can see okay you can see how he lays out his scripts very often he lays them out like like church sermons almost like he has this sort of message underpinning what he wants to do so he will write a story around the message to bring it home right and then you can see the, the opening in the in the Dutch village the massacre there okay, he's, he sets up the scene and then he sets up the, the symmetry between the British and the Nazis and he goes like, look, you know, like e evil in men is kind of just is a transient thing. Like we, it's kind of in us or maybe empires are prone to do this because absolute power corrupts absolutely. I don't know. There is stuff to be fishing, fished out from there. And then at the end, when you have Cheche from Species, I suppose, right? Um, giving him like this of, how about you go go back in time and you know see what you can do and just like now and now we're back in 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 the Dutch village and just like and all of a sudden I could feel like he's preaching at me, I could feel like this is the th these are the sort of moments where like Schrader sometimes doesn't kind of see where he becomes real pretentious, and he's it's immediately just like okay. <laughs> it's so hard to kind of stay on board with him sometimes because you feel like he's, okay, then all the sort of preceding sort of breadcrumbs that he lays out, they feel obvious and ham-fisted. And, and, and I feel like, okay, is this a result of him re-engineering someone else's story to just to fit what he's interested in? I don't, I don't know. But it sounds, manuf and looks and sounds manufactured to me. And then for me, this is where I say like, Paul, like I, you, you can do better than this. That's kind of where I'm coming from. I don't disagree with that. I just think, just on reflection as well, and not to like stick up for Rennie Harlan here, but the, the the big distinction about the two films is that ultimately it's how they're presented and the fact that Rennie Harlan creates the narrative of the actual setting first. So we find out we're in the Crusades or around around the Crusades. So we find out... It's the same thing, right? I yeah, forgot. Well, well, no, no, no. At the end, is, yeah. at the end is exactly the sort of the bookend of the bit. Uh, uh, okay, yeah. Anyway, you were saying no because I just think I think Rennie Harlan makes a conscious decision to have the setting as a primary motive, and he brings Father Merrin into it. I think Schrader has Father Merrin and brings a setting into it. So there's there's an emphasis there of what two directors want to do, and I think and Rennie Harlan wants to play with the setting and leave Merrin to the to the secondary, and the film shows it. And I think when you look at Dominion. Rene, uh, Paul Schrader wants to use Father Merrin and put the setting secondary and it shows it because I don't think Paul Schrader's got an eye for production design um, they no he either. does not and I do I do agree <laughs> with you it's interesting that we, we keep on giving like we're talking about Schrader shit in the better here but you know from our opening gambit you know Fr John Frankenheim was meant to do this he was penciled in then another director was penciled in so they'd already had a screenplay ready to go they probably couldn't push back with it, with the with the castle. Well, the first day, they first they had a uh, a director of Jason Lives penciled in. So Morgan Creek guys, they had it sort of nailed. They were like, we're yeah. gonna get what some kind go of wrong? a horror schmo to to be a pushover. Let's just make some quick money on this. Yeah, that's I agree with that. That's the mission. Yeah, no, I agree with that. I, I think if, again, if you're gonna go into that that sentiment, ultimately your end results are not gonna be anything dissimilar, is it? So I agree with you. I just think it's interesting that these two films. Schrader's interpretation is to look at the character, but just to respond to Carson a bit earlier about, um, I think Carson said something about like uh, you're gonna uh, with with Schrader, uh, uh, it's not like uh, he has heart and soul because he's in, in investigating. Schrader is a box of chocolate. He's investigating yeah. the, um, the, the 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 character, the moral dile dilemmas, the empathy of and 
morality of a character. So I agree with that to some extent. But I also think that's slightly, slightly a cop out in the sense of that when you look at Spielberg's work, you know that he's going to have a father son relationship, or or an absentee father with a son relationship. Here, I think everybody knows watching Schrader, there's going to be some internal investigation about a character's religious morality, <laughs> empathy. So I, I, I look a bit further than that, and I want to see what Schrader is doing elsewhere. And I have to say that when you look at Dominion, there's very little else that's going on. Mm-hmm. But bar the Merrin um, character in Dominion, there's very little flair that goes on any other way. And anywhere in the, in the film, I think visually is one. I think subtextually is another. I think tonal is another. But when you look at Rennie Harlan's project, there's at least a sense of that Rennie Harlan is going for something a bit further than, than Father Merrin. However, however, I, 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 even when I say that, not to be, play my own devil's advocate, that then leads me back to the question of, well, what do people want from a prequel of an Exorcist film? Do they want the, the, the world building? Question or, is, or do, do people want a prequel to no, The Exorcist? Fuck, no, one no. watch it. Yeah, We're the only Thank three you. people in the world we're talking about now. Worked, yes, <laughs> that's exactly. And this is why we're here. We're doing the Lord's work. Yeah, okay? Indeed. <laughs> but, but that's, Has there ever been a time after the first Exorcist where the world really was like, uh, we want another one? Like, none of these films ever came out and we're like, oh, anything. No, no. <laughs> the, the first one came out and then people in the studio, like Warner Brothers were like, we made... <laughs> Ton of money. Sure. Can we do another one? And and I think and they asked Friedkin, and just do you want to do another one? And he goes like, "Fuck no, I don't. Want to do one. I want to you go know. to Peru and just and drive trucks." Carson, <laughs> have you um have you have you heard what the the idea was to do on the sequel to The Exorcist? No. Right, just just ready here because this is ready for this. These are the same people, right? The the guy, the producer of The Exorcist, and he's on record as saying this. Wanted to get Richard Burton's character to interview people from the first film and then recollect it through the visual flashbacks of what was in the first film and recut it into the second film in an hour and a half. And he said that's what, that's where the, the second film was born from. These people, all they want to do is a cash grab. There's, n- there's no love and affection from inside the tent. It's t- yes. honestly like... It's terrible. Yeah, at least that's changed now, right? <laughs> yeah. At least we know. Yeah. And two, <laughs> back in the 70s, they didn't know how to do it. Like, there, there was no... Exactly. Yeah, so there, that was another piece. But The Exorcist, to this day, I think, is in the, one of the top 10 films to in terms of ticket sales, right? Like, I think... I mean, like, corrected by for inflation, mm-hmm. I think, up until, I want to say, It, it was, like, the highest grossing R-rated film ever. <gasps> Disagree. It was Matrix Reloaded. I mean, or maybe R-rated horror film. There you it's go. Like one of those. I think don't you, that, don't yeah, come I think for me. It. Don't come for me. The, the, the Matrix. No, I'm no. Because I remember I read this in prep. You are right. You for are the right. other one. I think it was something to that effect. Maybe it was a horror film. You know, you, you are right. Yeah. Because I remember that when it was it, they were talking about Dr. Sleep maybe having it and then Dr. Sleep just sort of slightly bombed. But for an R-rated horror, it, it, chapter one is the big one. Yeah. Yes. I mean, it's in, it's interesting. Like, I I, I would. I, it's interesting seeing Schrader in in sort of more contemporary view. You know, we've just had the Card Counter, uh, Master Gardener, First Reformed. I know all of us have sort of seen them. I think Master Gardener is probably the weakest out of the three. I I really like Card Counter. Master Beta. And I know Carson loves First Reformed, but um, ha- having having um seen a lot of Schrader, it's interesting that Schrader never brings this up. I very very rarely hear this. It's almost like it's been pushed to one side, and and unfortunately, that to me infers that. He wasn't really bothered about the material. I think I think he's he, he he's, he's he's allowed this to die its death because well you know it's 
not really my baby. Mm, I think if he had written yeah. it, I think he'd be very different. Uh, yeah, I think yeah, he, I think he'd set the, set the world on fire if that was true. If he'd written it, that's yeah, like, agreed. Yeah, a whole different conversation if he'd written it. I don't think but, he has any sort of uh, empathy for the because he wasn't his baby. He was just there to do a product. There's nothing wrong with that. I just think it'd be a very different story. However, I wonder what happened in those Morgan Creek uh, um, production offices because someone made a deal on one side of the table that Schrader didn't want to write it. You just direct it, but you can do this. Or was it something else? Food for thought, but um, very interesting. I, I, I think I don't know who got the the better of it there. No, like it's it's one of those that I, su- I suppose at some point some kind of a documentary is going to come out, or maybe some kind of Paul Schrader's biographer is going to dig dig into it at some point. But like you'll never know. It's all kind of a he said, she said sort of, right? Yeah, and Morgan. Yeah. It does feel like it's going to like. Sorry, it feels like it's going to go randomly like viral on film Twitter and they're going to be like, guys, you missed when Schrader did an Exorcist film and it's brilliant. And like, I do feel like that's Look, the if, future of this within if the next I five see, years. Like, this is one of the reasons why I'm not on Twitter anymore. When I see this, like, guys, you are sleeping on this. I'm like, no, I'm not. I'm fully awake. I slept <laughs> through it. <laughs> it's always the worst film also like ever made. <laughs> Just like, I mean, I'm fine. Like, you know, like, look. I hated both of these films with a passion. I appreciate that there is always someone out. Like I always wish, even when when I hate the movie like The Heretic with a passion, I wish there is some poor soul out there watching this, going like, "This is amazing," you know? Because oh. at least it this movie exists for someone. <laughs> so you, know, you were not this kind when I said I like cats. Let's be very clear. You bullied me. So I didn't bully I, you. this like, is a new era. Let's be <laughs> look, clear. You know. Assalamu alaikum. Just you love cats. I, I I don't care. You know, like your life is perfect with cats. I don't want to watch this movie ever again. <laughs> it's just it's what it is. So so it's it's kind of one of those. But you know, like I'm happy that this movie exists for you. And I suppose a bunch of people in cosplay. But you know, speaking of cosplay, the heretic, grasshoppers. Uh, stop. <laughs> Can I just say something as well? Uh, we're talking about Twitter and we talk about modern day f- f- films like that. Um. I'd be very interested to know if this was announced now and Schrader was going to make an Exodus prequel. And I'll tell you what, I'd be fucking so down for that. I'd be like, it's going to, it's going to bang, it's going to slap. So because no, it will too- still have the body of other sequels. You'll know, like, this is still going to be mm. shit. Like, Does he write you know- it? <laughs> I think he has to. Like, that would he be allowed be to? Would he be allowed to? I don't know. He'd have to write it. I'd have to do something with it. I mean, I suppose mm. the, the the rights may have lapsed because I don't remember seeing the Morgan Creek logo on the colon believer. No, because Universal oh, bought you, it from them. Universal bought it for $400 million. $400 million. So those whoever sequels, James Robinson is, is, is James Robinson dead? Hold on. Jacob, those sequels have to be made. It's a contractual obligation. They have to be made. Yeah. And the irony is that Peacock have got distribution rights exclusively on Peacock Demand. So that even if they don't get made, they'll go straight to Peacock as a as a as a as a, an exclusive streaming thing. It's an absolute disaster for them. Jack, you just gotta wait for like two months until they, oh, like A twenty four is like, hey, we bought the Halloween right. I'm sorry, I'm sorry. Well, Correction needs to be made. Morgan Creek still owns this. This is a co production of Universal and Blumhouse. Yeah. Well, actually, <laughs> I think Miramax has so just James bought the Halloween is still a pro- Hold on, James Robinson is still a producer on this, is he not? Yes, he is. He's he's producer on the Colin Believer. It makes it all makes sense. Is it guys, credit? Now. Is it credit? Is it credit? Or is it a participant? Yes, he is a credited Stop. producer. <laughs> I mean, it's interesting because you know Miramax have just bought the TV rights to the Halloween franchise, and I do think that ten hours of this film over the decades 
through see, through seeing Father Meron sort of gain his faith, lose his faith, him versus Ethel, if that's through Panzuzu or not, I think is a more um, intriguing, engaging. Yeah, um, like the Hannibal idea. series. Yeah, yeah. Um, oh, this is this is Hannibal Rising for for for. Oh the my god! Oh my. that's what <laughs> it is. Sorry, right, I'm, just exactly. going, I'm going to puke Sorry. right now. But but has reimagined here seen a, the Exorcist show? Huh? What is that? The I've seen an, I've seen seen an seen episode. The show? No. I've seen an episode. It's very. It's actually no. quite good. Got some good reviews. That means nothing to me. Oh, but it wouldn't, would it? <laughs> like, I've I've been burnt before. This it's is ma- really it, good it, reviews. It, like, it wow, plays I've, as, um, I've been hurt. It plays as a modern day reboot of of the film, and I'm pretty sure they recast everybody so that it doesn't take age into consideration. So it's set in the 2010s. But basically, like everybody's young, so I'm pretty sure the woman out of Cutthroat Island—I can't remember her name—plays Chris McNeil in it. Gina Davis. Gina Davis. Yes. Okay. Rennie Miss. Is it X Miss Rennie Harlan? That's exactly. Which is interesting. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So an interesting. It's a match made in heaven. Yeah. Like six degrees of Kevin Bacon moment. Indeed. But I can see. I could see an evolution of a TV show with with this um, to explore this. But again, it begs your question, mm-hmm. Jakob, about should this really be made and. Really, by by having four hours of it, there's nothing here that's adequate to to have um, allowed this to be, by definition, created. Mm. Uh, there, there's one thing that's kind of I, I don't want to say interesting because it would be too much, but what I find interesting is the difference. Like Paul Schrader, for instance, in, like the, the sort of the, the the background to Father Marin's character, which I suppose this is the interesting bit for someone in here to make a prequel because out of what exactly do you make a prequel to the exorcist i don't know because i agree none of this mythology is in the film a little bit of this mythology is in the book as in like the word pazuzu is actually mentioned in the film that you don't you never ever hear it right um but okay harlan's not it's not his script but you know like the script that he shot they turned this into a mystery like they kind of just they just edge you with this like what's what's Marin's past I don't know you know and then just they they just like snip it by snip it and he goes like oh he's a dick like Jesus like, like what like what did he do and then all of a sudden like never mind Isabella's Karupko's in makeup now so and she's already in the tunnel so we have to go there <laughs> so, yeah that's so, a bad decision wasn't it so it's kind of like okay let's forget about all the Nazi stuff because and all of a sudden, like, this just defaults to convention. Right? Yeah, I mean, I mean like, to agree with you, I think there's there's a one point where where he's in his room and he has the first the second flashback of when he's back in Holland and he wakes mm-hmm. up, he starts, like, crashing everything and he smashes the mirror and there's a flash of the demon on the screen. And as soon as that happened, I was like, oh, in right. In the Schrader film? No, this is in... Because um, now, now, now I'm kind of getting yeah. mix-ups. No, th- this is it. Because there's a in, flash um, of the demon in the Schrader one. Yeah, but it's... Yeah, that's when he... Yeah, but this is in the beginning. When um when he's when he looks when he smashes the the uh, mirror in Africa, and it's like bang he's he's he, he, um yeah. But when that happens, I was like, oh, this is interesting because it's it's quite similar to the original in, in t- to begin with, and now we're just really gonna work into that as well. Again, there's there's just no flair here. They had so much ample amount of immunity to to, to do anything they wanted to do, and I think the screenwriters here on both, both elements are just here to be blamed, but and as well as the producers. There was a limited, limitless amount of opportunity to explore. You could go through Merrin, you could go through the Demon. Like, isn't that primarily what you want to do? But to bring them together, to me, is like, well, we've got that, we've had that. Focus on one or the other. And I think Merrin is your human character, but the Exorcist wasn't pivotal to having Merrin as like, oh my God, 
have you have you got the new t-shirt father merinon like oh my god have you got the poster it, it, it didn't need that whereas i think you really could have had a really interesting story about just having that 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 monster that that demon somewhere else put, put it in iraq put it in baghdad make it really interesting have iconography but Stephen Sommers made the mummy three years earlier, and what do we do? Mm-hmm. We dress him up like fucking Brendan Fraser. It's like it's like it's yeah. criminal what they did here. Everything here is based on predisposed um, imagination of other ventures, uh, be that B movie, Universal features, or, or in, in, uh, going from the well itself. There's nothing much here that feels pinnacle to the to the to the uh, sense of well, this is original. There's just nothing here. And again, that's what really sort of disappoints me there. Because at least Heretic went for something, at least for Legion, went for something. And then you get these two and it's sort of just like, I don't really know what you've done here. Where's where's the principle of wanting to be courageous and make something unique? But I do think that falls with Morgan Creek. Because Rennie Harlan and Paul Schrader are not going to turn down building an extension to to, to this magnificent mansion that is the... To the exorcist are there but again i have to say that the blame goes on morgan creek for just not having any vision mm-hmm. yeah look i'm just looking at james like i'm this close if i ever ever think like low enough to write a hit piece this will be it i'm gonna write a, like i'm gonna write two thousand words of just slander about james g robinson because <laughs> like he's the man i, I can actually hold him personally responsible for why the legacy of William Friedkin's ex- The Exorcist has forever been tarnished. Like, I'm just not even kidding. Like, I look at this man's sort of, like, I'm now just like you guys are talking, I'm just like, let me just quickly Google. Like, this is a guy who executive produced, like, Major League 2, like, wrongfully accused. Ooh. The remake of Diabol- Le Diabolique. Um, I know. But right. just like Sol- just, soldier, a spiritual sequel to Blade, what? Runner, Blade yeah. Runner. Like, is there anything, man, ra- Jacob? Just is there actually anything objectively decent on that list? Like I'm looking. Come on, <laughs> Ace Ventura films. Well, you know, well. <laughs> okay, true. Yeah. Oh, True Romance. Okay, he executed True Romance. Okay, yeah, he, he's got True Romance. He's got The Crush, The Last of the Mohicans. Oh wow, this is like in succession: The Last of the Mohicans, The Crush, True Romance, and then Ace Ventura. And then from there, it's just fucking whatever. Oh, Robin Hood, Prince of Thieves. Oh, yeah. <laughs> your, your favorite. Oh, fuck me. But I'll say the disrespect involved <laughs> with what he did to Blatty, the, the more I thought about it since Dead we Ringers. talked about it last week, is completely just beyond me. Like, Blatty was ground zero. Even before Friedkin, it was Blatty's book. He was ground zero for The Exorcist, which became a phenomenon. He makes Exorcist three. And Robinson says, no, there's no exorcist. Go back and do another one. S- what a slap in the face to the to a creator. Like, uh, you know, anyway. I, I just, and Blatty seemed to want to, you know, put his best foot forward and say, well, let's make the most of it. And, you know, let's see if we can, f- let's see if we can figure this out. And, you know, like doing the best he can. But, you know, he was sent off with his tail between his legs. And I think that would be sort of a humiliating thing for Blatty. You know, is, the architect he, of. Do you think he's the, like an ex, like an intimidating character or something? Like, is he like seven foot three or something like this? And he's, I don't know, but he's he's got his clearly has his thumb on the the switch that would release the money or not, right? Randa, your description of him then, right? It reminds me of that Mindy Kaling meme on Twitter where she was like pointing some out in comedy, and then some of the, someone some tweeted them like mentioned the office and went, "Well, you can do this," and she was like, "Watch the credits." I wrote that here. It's like. 
these people are being antagonistic or disrespectful to the person and the reason why they're there to begin with. And it goes back on ego. I, I have, knowing that you made so much money, you have the rights of these films because the man in front of you built them with his, with his uh, writing from nonsensical hours, um, probably not seeing his grandchildren, his kids, to, to writing these novels. And then to come out and make statements like that is probably the reason why Saga are doing what they're doing now. There seems to be no care from the production value, a producer's value, the actual creators. And it's sort of that testament of time within this relationship. It's just unfortunate that it's happened to William Peter Blatty twice. But again, I think that having having your cake and eating it with Legion, I think how he got away with that is probably just about enough. But for him to come come back to this, it's like the John Carpenter thing with Halloween. You can get him back, but you, you can get him back if you pay him a shit ton of money. And I sort of appreciate the John Carpenter getting the bag and doing the score. Because those three films are excellent with the scores, I'll say that at least. But, with, but let's just let's be honest: the scores to Halloween films, it's still variation on one theme. Mostly. Exactly, and, yeah. I, and I don't. So it's I, not like he just went there and just like let yeah. me just recompose a whole new score. No, it's still like mm-hmm, you know, no, you know, granted. But I do, right? I, I do appreciate like I do appreciate Carbon to going back and uh, being involved in somewhere. But I also appreciate William Peter Blatty going like this is not only disrespectful but it's actually um, a, a plague on the existence of this franchise. I sort of agree, agree with them to the extent of just keeping away. Would it have been interesting with him to actually have, have done the screenplay with Schrader? I don't know, but I think that... Was he just, still alive then? Yeah, no, he, he died, was, because he yeah, he was, they were laughing, they were laughing at the premiere. Of course yeah, they, they, was. they saw it together. <laughs> wow. No, it's just like with Carpenter Halloween, just I want to say, like he probably just got involved with the Blumhouse sort of production because he wasn't involved with the uh, Rob Zombie ones and he probably just said like fuck like like if I step away from this like this is what happens okay no I, I think I think they paid him a shit ton of money to, to do the score they probably did and, probably and to did. go in the press and say it was good do you think he needed money to, for like the new version of NBA Live or whatever because yes. <laughs> if you watch what he's doing um, now the, the, he's, do, he should, he's just done a new TV show if, you've, if you're watching the reviews of that I think he needs to sort of get out of retirement did you see him directing it from his couch? I mean, a Peacock original, right? What yeah. Do you expect yeah, yeah well, they're doing a lot of good at recently, aren't they, allegedly? Well, I mean, the guy has just like, you know, like Joel Car- Carpenter has like, I don't give a shit, like written on his forehead. But you talk, yeah. but again, like you talk about someone who's been burnt by by the studio system. I mean, he's been there and For done like that. I can appreciate that. Yeah, so... He's the John Cassavetes of horror is what he is. Yeah, so it's interesting, <laughs> yeah. it's interesting to look at what William Peter Blatter. I will say this, though. The fact that like... William Peter Blatty and Paul Schroeder were just laughing in the auditorium watching this. And yet in, in, in 1977, they did the same thing. I think there's a form of literally disbelief and a bit more of hysteria, like just like trying to rub it in, which is fair enough. But, you know, I don't think they were there laughing at it. But to, to be granted, to watch these two films and watch the... I mean, it's interesting that we get William Peter Blatty's relationship on these, but I'd like to know what Freakin thought of these two. Because we've got to know what Freakin thought of Believer just before he died, although he hasn't seen it. But he, he never mentioned beginning and dominion i think partly he wouldn't have done it because he would have been slightly tight with schrader but i would have thought he'd have absolutely um torn you ass over Renny harlan i really would have thought he'd have, he'd have eviscerated him in the press i, think james, oh, I, I have sure. a, honest to god i have a feeling that he hated james g robinson because i think james g robinson probably just told him like no you're not involved in this like in 1997 when they were conceptualizing this they probably said like no thanks to bloody right so i think at this point he was just like okay but I would have thought that Freakin would have retaliated and made his life a misery. 
Uh, maybe at this point, like Friedkin was already old enough, he was just like, but we didn't give a shit anyway. Because you know, like he's kind of like, I don't in in an I don't care. You know, like hold, where's my hold on? Where this is? Who gives a shit? This is the mode that Friedkin's in. <laughs> just yeah. why? <sighs> I don't know. Yeah. Here's a question for you guys, by the way. How do you, like if if you were to make this movie kind of work for like anyone? Is the is is there a movie? That's palatable in here. I just I like Carson your take on this. Like I think is is this movie that's kind of like a, like at least Schrader's version. Is this like a decade ahead of its time? As in like is there a movie for a modern audience in here somewhere? Is there is there any? Because I I appreciate that you know like you love this film, great. But then again, with the sort of filter of of like <laughs> with you being a poor Schrader stance, so you just like take this with a pinch of salt. You know, like whenever he, whenever this man tells you, like, go and watch canyons, like, you know, just, 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 just give it a second. <laughs> just need to, you know, like, parameterize it a little bit. But is there a movie here somewhere that you can actually make palatable for a 2023 audience? Because we're, we're looking at this almost as an oddity and, and as a, as a weird sort of like a, pre-Snyder cut of what could have been if, if people didn't meddle with something. And then if it's a shoulda, woulda, coulda movie, right? So, is there a movie that that you could actually see happen now? I mean, I think absolutely. As Randy said, I mean, I think the themes of this film, if you want to break it down into what it could be, is getting just more and more relevant by the day. If you look at Schrader's newest trilogy that Jack brought up, I mean, pretty much every one of them is kind of taking a similar pathway of trying to understand something that's, like, unbearable, like, in, in like on such a scale that it's impossible to understand and trying to find a path forward. I think you have to change a lot. I think you obviously have to change a lot about the production, about the screenplay, um, make it less boring, cut down the runtime. But like, I absolutely think there's a way. And I think that if you want to continue the exorcist, I would like to see it. If you really have to, I mean, I'd like an original project more. I think a pathway like this would be more interesting than whatever the hell David is doing. So I think so. (laughs) I think, I think these, no, I was just gonna say, I think these, there could be something in these films or this film uh, that if you extend it out, could be a, a, an interesting little series with the right creators behind it. Like, so the Boba Fett thing is silly. Maybe a comp as that is, it isn't actually I, I, like the Hannibal thing, <laughs> the you adventures know, of Pazuzu. You, it, yeah. it can be its own thing in another medium and find its own way. You know, there's always that possibility. And, you know, this is, this is a series that's been around for 50 years and no one's quite, figured it out um probably because morgan creek owning it has been a detriment to the creative input on it um this just doesn't work like what what they produced mm-hmm. here and and yes i think too as uh, uh, jack maybe you said it this this exists because the mummy existed three years earlier like the rennie version so th- that's the that's the thing with with the rennie cut is just everything is well, let's do something contemporary. What what are the other what are the other kids doing these days? Oh, a CGI sandstorm. Oh, CGI hyenas, of course. So like, it's it's just sort of devoid of vision. But you get a little bit of that. I don't want to say a lot in in the the Schrader bit, but there there are nuggets there. There are thematic nuggets that appeal to Schrader. Maybe there's something in there. But even even then, comparing it to or, or making it an extension in some way of the original, it's, it's a long shot to me. that These are all their own independent little projects, and they are all sort of bizarre in their own right. When you look at the greats, right, when you look at stuff like The Matrix, and you look at The Exorcist, and you look at Alien, 
All those films do not homage, they inspire. Everything that comes after it tries to homage it and is inspired by them. The Exorcist is one of those examples where it is a franchise that should be making new ground and should not be terrified of uh, ripping up the apple cart and trying to sort of divide itself in its attention to appeasing multiple different audiences. It should be what it is and and, and, and inspire like that. Here, it's got the it's got the end the, the the wrong foot here, and it's wanting to try and be everything, and fundamentally, it doesn't work. The pro- and this is both both examples. However, the one thing about the Paul Schrader thing as well, and you said about it, could it work today, is that that the Paul Schrader thing, um, the one with Dominion, gets it right to a certain extent in that that's not a happy ending. It's incredibly bleak. It's incredibly half, half the town's dead. They've had to cover everything up. He's he's gone he's gone out of this has just seen it happen again to his life has taken back up the missionary but it, it but it, it just is not the same person he's going to live with the guilt all of his time. Chet Chase had the opportunity to, to uh, has seen it you know but even Paul, um, even Father Merrin has seen this this person be almost cured in a way and that's been taken from them. Uh, Father Father is it Father Gabriel as well? Father Francis. Father Francis played, played by Gabriel Mann. That's the story. Yeah. So Father Francis his life has been taken away. The Schrader version is incredibly bleak, uh, not very optimistic, very much like the like the freaking version. There's not very many people who get away with that and who, are, who aren't, don't follow with the wounds. And I think that's what Schrader gets of that version is that there's wounds there, but it's interesting that there's wounds that ultimately are left of that film, but not start with that film. Only Schrader, so you don't really get this 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 opinion of it evolving. It just doesn't feel like it's very linear. In that sense, it doesn't go up and down. Doesn't that just very linear? Whereas I think with Ronnie Harlins, there's at least some sort of creativity in there to be like, well, you know, we'll start here, we'll go here, we'll go there, we'll go there. But again, I think this is fundamentally that the two things are coexisting, but not working on the fundamental issues. What not fundamental issues, but the fundamentals of what made the original work in the first place. I will say this: there's one scene in both films, and it's obviously the same prop that generally unsettles me, and it's the stillborn child with the maggots. On both mm-hmm. versions, I watched that. I find that equivalent to the crucifix in the genital scene. I find that so unnerving to watch for different reasons, of course, um, and different d- different um, reasons why it's been shown. But that's the only sequence in both both versions of this film where I'm generally feel upset, upset, and upset, unsettled when I watch it. Even now, trying to think about it makes me sort of not cringe, but sort of regress into myself. I just think it, it, it's so effective. But it feels like it's so hard to, 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 to put across. Like it's its attempt is so obvious, so unsubtle. And I think that sort of defines the feature, uh, 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 both features to, 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 for me to, to begin with. It's that throughout both lifespans of each feature, they're having to go above and beyond rather than play the subtlety card. And I think Schroeder gets that a little bit more, um, whereas Rennie Halland's so, so heavy handed with it. But that sequence, it's like it's the most effective aspect of the film. And do you think they both do it uh, on purpose? Apologies for bargaining. Uh, yes. As in on purpose are trying to yes. um, have a, a plane of symmetry with, let's just say, the, the, the Regan sort of um, scene yes. stabbing herself and then cutting her face. Yeah, and I also think that those two are mandates from, from Robinson. I also think that's a producer's thing that we need a scene. And it, it's ironic that it comes sort of like the, the first act into the second act, both portions at the same time feels very manufactured in the sense of that that's been mandated by a producer in the screenplay. And ultimately, once you get past that point, because it's so effective in how it's executed, for good and good and for bad, the film never catches up with that itself. The ending with the, the sort of the four Regan on Sarah is never as captivating. 
Cheche is absolutely horrific iconography in, the, in the, every bad sense of the word. The film mm-hmm. never can find the courage and execution to further those morals because it's blown its load, pardon my French. Um, so I, I, wow. I just, yeah, well, I've gone there. It's late. But I'm, I'm, on, I'm on the nasal. Yeah. yeah. But, uh, but again, that to me is, is, is a, it's a producer's mandate of someone who, who just isn't understanding the screenplay, isn't understanding the film. And then by definition, you, you see what the eventual road is like and it's just crumbled, it's just it's a dirt road. And both ventures are exactly the same. Uh, you know, that there's just nothing intimidating about these films. There's nothing through iconography that's effective. You know, it takes it takes more time investigating itself through this church. Is like, oh, it's it's so it's so wonderfully kept up. You know, it looks beautiful and stuff like that. And I'm thinking, hang on a second, you've just found something buried. Have a little bit more animosity towards it. Have a little bit of stoicism to it. Everything just seems like it's just everything's predictable beats. There's just nothing here that highlights itself into being. Oh, this is quite thrilling. Where's where's a sense of atmosphere throughout these films as well? There's absolutely no sense of character within setting. There's no set design um, that, that feels of texture. They're just like, there's just nothing here. There's no burning sun that's, that's sort of beginning to de- deteriorate the, the landscape, aside from two people getting a seizure and it's dehydration. I just you know, think... Sirs, can I just quickly add? Can I just... Because uh, you, you, you're talking about this makes me just quickly just think about, because like, I'm 500 words into shitting on Believer, right? Oh god. Um, That's four hundred more be, than it deserves, I think. Well, it's gonna be another thousand. But Fucking hell fire. <laughs> this like I'm not no, I'm 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 taking this seriously because like, you know. But I'm just thinking like look, I'm thinking about the scene you just mentioned, say like the, the maggot baby, uh stillborn baby, right? Mm-hmm. And then all these sort of elements of set design, production design, and then you set and you and if this is purposefully set as a like a symmetrical piece to this 1973 film, right? Then none of these people ever get it. And then, you know, like, I, I understand that the producer doesn't get it because this guy probably said it before last week. Like, he probably struggles putting food in his mouth. Like, there's doesn't have two brain cells to rub together. Like, I'm not even kidding. Like, I'm sorry, but this is, like, like evidence is out, out there on display. These movies are shit and, I, and I have everything. And there's one connective <laughs> tissue in here, this guy. But anyway. Say it how just, it is. Like, fuck me. I, anyway, okay, he's probably lovely as a person, but holy shit, Jesus, like, you should have sat down. But, uh, you know, he probably, maybe it was someone else. I don't care. But, you know, like, what what the problem is, like, you watch the 1973 film, and then the reason why um, it's upsetting is because it's real, right? There's no music. There's no editing. You, you, there's just a camera on someone's shoulder while while Linda Blair is um, is is stabbing a cruci- her, herself with a crucifix. That's it. And then the uh, manufactured reality, like screen, the screen becomes a window, right? Because you all, all of a sudden, like you feel like this could happen to your kid, and that's the horror of The Exorcist. And meanwhile, in all of these sequels, and this counts for the David Gordon Green one as well, they they can't get away. They they can't think their way out of the, out of a cardboard box this way because they just have to smuggle Hollywood into this. There has to be some kind of a special effect. There has to be a music cue. This has to be tone and, and something has to be set outside of the reality of the film because at so, on some level, no one's trusting that the viewer is going to get it. Because this... Mm-hmm. And I feel like this is a problem. Like, in, like this maggot baby scene, it's an unsettling image, fine. But it's... 
Hollywoodized, and that's kind of a, a emblem, emblematic of the entire attempt at trying to milk this this the, the movie and make it into a franchise. One hundred percent. Yep. Yep. Agreed. I mean, do you, do you find anything else unsettling throughout this, aside from the, when it started? In the Rennie Harland versions, there are some images in here which which I feel like, at least they're just like, okay, well, they're trying to do something. But then again, this is like early 2000s anyway. So they're trying to do something to the, to the, view, to, to the regular viewer. They'll be like, oh, you know? At least there are like three scenes that kind of just woke me up for a second. Like, wow, this happened? I might as well write it down and just fall back, fall back asleep. Mm-hmm. You know, but like Schrader doesn't do it because fair, fair enough. Schrader is not interested in doing a horror film, right? Schrader's interested in just, I suppose, touching base with his, uh, with his own demons again. Um, which like, I don't know, like I've said this before, like I have a feeling like he has this sort of like guilty conscience sometimes because all his demons, they always refer to this, like these weird sort of shit. Like, I feel like he's just... Is he re- like I don't know? I, like, I don't want to slander the guy, but just like, is he regretting thinking certain things when he was younger? <laughs> is he <laughs> like we don't need to talk about what he posts on Facebook? Exactly. Well, I think we like, just leave it. Is he like because you because know. you know like let's let's be honest. Like Travis Bickle is not a good guy, and all of a sudden he's like now this whole trilogy, like the Man in the Room trilogy, is like he's trying to apologize for something that you know, like he's he's very 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 odd, <laughs> very odd. I mean, I love the guy, but holy shit. I don't know. Like, it's just, you know, like, I'm out of gas on these films. I feel, I feel like, you know, like, you, <laughs> this, is, this is it. Like, you can't, like, you can't polish a turd. You can roll it in sprinkles, but then again, still a turd. Um, so, I feel like unless someone else has something else to say. How long have you can, got? Because I can, I can go on a little bit here. I've got quite a few really annoying just, things. Go for it. First and foremost, right? The Alan, Jesus, what, like what, what is he has, Alan? He, he brought he brought receipts. <laughs> I've, I've got I've got my notes. What is Alan Ford doing in the beginning as well? Like th- that is such a principal British character, and then when he starts on with in his which monologue movie? in in the Harlem in movie. the beginning, yeah. Oh, and he's also in the end, no? No, he's he's not in. No, no, he's not in Dominion. No, no, in the end of the film. Well, yeah, I mean, the, but it's called Exodus the beginning. Exodus. I got it. Okay, yeah, in, a, in the in the beginning, but not in the beginning of the beginning. No, no, he's, he's in <laughs> throughout. Mind. He has all the balls in his face, <laughs> and his teeth get progressively worse. It's actually uncomfortable. Oh, that's watch. the one. Oh, okay, I, I didn't know what you were. Oh, is that Alan the guy Ford. from Snatch? Yeah, Jeffries. Brick Top. Yeah. Yeah, Jeffries. Yeah. No, Al- yeah, no, Alan Ford. It's, who's Jeffries? Okay. Who's kind Ketchup, of just yeah. a little decomposing slightly? Yeah, like it's such a principal British character that like, and it's just like. I just like what what we doing here? Like, why is Bricktop giving a monologue? He's also, he's also a racist. Why is that yeah. character brought in to begin with? Because he he wasn't in the you know original. Yes, exactly. Washer. Like I don't. Yeah. Because Snatch was a hit. Yeah. It, <laughs> not only yeah. that, but it also feels like we need another white character in here. It just feels weird. Like yeah, we're, in, we're in we're in we're in um, we're in like uh, in Africa. Like there's nothing wrong with having an African person in this. Why we've got to have Alan Ford giving us an exhibition on monologue? Who's like, do you know where we're going to die, mate? It's like, please, please, please stop. It's like, it's so, it's cringeworthy. Indeed. Secondly, right, what really annoys me about this film, and once Did you, you notice it, well, you're going to need one in a minute, because I swear to God, because I'm going to have a fucking aneurysm. Another scene that really annoys me here, and once you notice it, it's like a motif. Are you going through your bottoms? Now? I was going to say, 
And let's no, no, note no, no, no. here, this is even <laughs> before is, the bottoms. This is just... No, they, they, we'll get to them. But another issue that really annoys with this film, and it's a motif that Randy Harlan uses, and once you notice it, it becomes really difficult to not see it. What he'll do, you'll see something on screen, you'll see a normal scene, someone will walk past something, touch their forehead or do something, and there will be blood, right? For then the next 12 seconds, they don't notice said blood. Then another noise will happen. They will look away, look back, and then there's blood everywhere. It happened six times. I counted it. I was that fucking bored. And to me, it's like throughout two hours. Is that that's the motif you're going to use? Why use it six times? Because you don't have any other other principle to do anything else. You don't have any other technique. You don't have any other brain power to think about something. You don't know how to block a scene. It all comes about like it's just laziness, real fucking laziness. God, do you yeah, think if it works, if it works though, Jack? Six do times, you, Randy. Do you do you think Sylvester Stallone was ghost directing Cliffhanger? Because Cliffhanger yes. is really kind of just put like put together quite competently, right? Here's the yes. question. I, mean, I know for a fact that Sylvester Stallone can direct a movie. So yeah. I mean, I ask more questions about Cutthroat Island, but we'll get there. I'm sure another day. Um, another thing that really annoys me as well. I'm not not to One get day. back into my, my bottom three. Pirate but, month coming up. <laughs> excuse me, I'm just rejecting this film. So, <coughs> excuse me. Um, I, I don't quite understand how warm Father Marion is in this this film. It's so interesting warm. to see. I thought it was like he's like, not very you mean spiky. Like physically warm, as in like. No, 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 no. I don't think he was like um, sunbathing, but his attitude was so much more. Like does not know how to be a human. He's always like I don't. Maybe this is just me. He always like looks like he's just condescending. Well, no, <laughs> he's quite, he's quite good in the Mamma Mia films. He's very warm in those. Dead films. ass. Not, no lies detected. Oh, I'm. There we go. Is there, is there a doctor? Around? No, he, he's very he's very warm in those films. And here, I don't get the similar sort we of tone. We need to get a medic in here. I don't get the similar sort of tone, but I do get this sort of idea where. He just seems very upbeat and very warm in the in this in the in Rennie Harlan's version of the film. Can and I throw we, a theory out there? I yeah, don't go think on. I don't think Harlan knows how to direct. Oh okay. well, do you know I don't think that I don't think that would be a theory. You know, I think, <laughs> well, I think, I think there's, there's, he doesn't know what to do. <laughs> he doesn't Look, know what to do with his actors. Just go through the lines, take. Stellan. Paul, Paul Schrader also didn't know what to do with most of his actors on his film. He only cared about Stellan because, like, Gabriel Mann has no idea what to do with himself. Ugh, we'll get I'm there. just, I'm not even kidding. He's like, like, look at him. Just watch this again. <laughs> watch this again and see him, like, how he doesn't know how, how, to, how to behave when he's not have, when he doesn't have lines. I tell like, you, it was some, just like, yeah, like I, Paul Schrader just taking him outside and just like, sit the fuck down <laughs> and just wait. No, I see. All, he does, you don't have to pace and go like. <laughs> see, I, I, I mean, I, I, I people speaking agree with I'm just like, fuck. Like, and Paul Schrader, just an award winning screenwriter slash director with three decades of experience, should have just pulled him aside and go like, sit. Fuck. <laughs> down. Yeah, I mean, he, he, need, he needed like to go to the Oliver Reed school of acting where talk quietly, talk slowly, and use your eyes. You don't have to be pedantic for three for what feels like three hours. He he, he doesn't <laughs> just, stop walking. He doesn't stop running. He's constantly like crying. Like it's just there's just no sort of subtlety with it at all. And I, that's why I like, prefer James Darcy in the role oh, as well. Oh yeah, but then like look, this would have been like if I was Paul Schrader, I would have just pulled him aside and said like, look, oh, Paul, 
oh, oh, sorry, Mr. Schrader, what should, what should I use for as hints for my character? And he just like, give him a few DVDs with Steve McQueen films and just like, look what this man does. Just sit the fuck down in the corner and just peel an apple. You don't have to say anything. It's good. <laughs> it's fine. Just be there. Just be a presence. You don't have to draw attention to yourself. We can see you from afar. You're wearing a, 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 a purple scarf, okay? You're, okay, why? You know, this is usually a bigger conversation anyway. for stage acting. Because stage actors are on for long scenes without a line and they don't know what to do with themselves. I've um, shit once, yes. <laughs> I, I've worked with actors before, right? And if I was going to be really blunt with him, I'd have taken this. I'd tell this is the truth. I'd have taken him to just one smoke side. Smoke a cigarette, just do something. I'd have taken him to one side and said, "Look, Gabriel, right? Every every opportunity you have to put something extra in there, such as an extra line or an extra visual emotive discourse, I will cut one line of yours out every time. And if you keep on doing it, you'll have nothing to say throughout this film whatsoever. I'll leave it to you to your choice. If you want to go extra." And you go extra, but you'll be nothing to show when it comes opening night. And sure as shit, by the two-hour runtime, he'd be subtle as a brick. He'd never say anything. I'd be perfect. There's a lack. Look. I think there's a lack thereof personality between Schrader and his actors as well. I don't think oral he's a warm his- director. Or oral history of the production of Dominion. He probably pulled Gabriel Mann aside and said, "Like every time you do this shit, I'm gonna execute a puppy." And on puppy Jesus. number three, Peter got involved and he got fired. Right. That's kind of, and this is where Rennie Harlan got involved, because yeah. Anyway, well, I don't, anyway, I, you were saying like Rennie Harlan can't direct actors. Anyway, I don't think I, th- I think Continue. Paul Schrader's not particularly warm with his actors either. I think I think Paul Schrader comes from the Hitchcock school of cattle. I hired you to do a job. Now do it. And I do, I sort of agree with that testament. If you if you're not oh. gonna if you no I do it. I think if you're not gonna you're not gonna make a um, really detailed by by a lead character method acting approach then you hire surrounding parts that play the parts they don't need any extra detail and you just know he went away and read like three books about it and was like oh you know this is how i feel about it. i just said sit down you know <laughs> you use use a visual prowess don't say hardly anything and then when we get those monologues they, they make more sense they have more power that's what they try to do with, with Merrin and it just it just doesn't work with father father is it father <laughs> like father man of knows father francis francis I'll give it up. Uh, see, like I, like, I think, like, Paul Schrader, as a director, I have, like, this is my opinion. Again, I have never met the guy, so I don't know. And I don't necessarily follow him on Facebook, so I don't even know what he's up to on his, like, days off. Oh, he, you probably know better. Uh, he, he just posted that he, he uh, finished rapping his new oh, film. Oh, Jesus. Oh, Canada. Yeah. Hell yeah. Oh, but, yeah. Like, I feel like, as a director, he's not, like, I feel like he's not warm towards his actors, yes, but I feel like the reason is because he's invested in the stories he's telling, because he's a critic and a screenwriter first, so he's invested in the messages he's peddling. So, he's in the themes, his 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 head is in, in like, the subtextual plane already, so he doesn't care. So, he's kind of like a arthouse version of Clint Eastwood, as in, like, if he doesn't hire an absolute pro who comes in prepared, this isn't gonna work. So it's like if he hires like Ethan Hawke, who probably <laughs> takes good care of his character, and he probably just goes like, this is my idea for this. And he goes like, whatever. And then just nails it, right? So that's kind of how I view it. <laughs> I don't know. Agreed. I feel like James P. Robinson went up to Schrader on like day 90 and went, right, Paul, we're going to reshoot parts of the film. And he's like, oh, thank God, it's going to be it's gonna be Gabriel uh, Mann, isn't it? It's like, well, yes, and we're going to reshoot everything you've just shot. 
That's the sort of approach it was all <laughs> sort of ridiculous. Like we're firing Gabriel Man, thank God you're going yeah. to what? <laughs> <Yeah>. Me? <laughs> it's five months of reshoots. Jesus. Well, it's it's actually such a con- condescending sort of way to. I mean, I'm not surprised this guy doesn't doesn't talk about this movie because like you did feel kind of stabbed in the back, as in like not only did they fire me, they also hired an absolute hack to replace me, and they gave him twice as much money. Exactly. Yeah. I will just just to play devil's advocate though. The reason why I would be quiet about that because your enemy dealt their hand, and it, you don't need to speak for it because it's a piece of shit. There's nothing Paul Schrader could say or do to not make that uh, the beginning look as twice as shit as it is. So to be fair, being quiet justifies that 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 being a thing to begin with. So fair play to him. Yeah. Do you have any other grievances? Do you do you have any other dirty laundry you need to air? Or? No, I'm, I'm pretty sure I'll wake up in the middle of the night with more. But at the moment, right. Final takes on the uh, prequel saga. <sighs> anyone i don't know carson you tell me final takes yeah i mean out of five and uncut gems or not (laughs) (laughs) oh and an out of five yes okay beginning 1.5 not a gem leave that shit in the mind um just terrible i mean like bad right Uh in every way uh schrader's film three stars wow give it a gem i think i like it more after this conversation than when i walked in on this conversation i think it's not perfect but i think there is stuff that is a value here and it's certainly better than the beginning though obviously i mean like you don't need a prequel to the exorcist i think inherently it's a flawed idea and inherently it's like a terrible idea it's like i'm not saying it's like you know thumbs up i love that it was made but like you know what it was good i like schrader i'll give him the bone sure awesome amen (laughs) the power of christ compels you jack what do you feel (sighs) um there we go I'm going to be very brief for the first one, like Casa Bosco. Oh, shit, really? <laughs> yeah. Um, I, I th- yeah. I think the beginning is is genuinely... Oh, wow. Yeah. I think, the, I think the beginning oh. is g- genuinely um, a trash dump dumpster fire of just trying to be everything at once and not having any substance whatsoever. Wrong man for the job. Wrong material. Never goes anywhere. Wants to be re- really eerie at the end about finding something else. Then we walk off to a CGI green screen in the Vatican just ironically nobody's there that's, not, that's interesting um but yeah uh, i think it's, it's it's no way an uncut gem i think it's just probably terrible uh D- dominion is an interesting one because I, I i want to agree with carson and say that my approach has sort of changed with it, having this conversation but the more the more i think about it the more i'm, I'm e- eagerly disappointed excuse me sort of eagerly disappointed with the end result however I do think there's there's this really interesting conversation internally about a character in it, which I think you, you can definitely take something out of it. So I would also give Dominion three stars, and I will also give it an un- uncut gem status. I think <laughs> that's quite fair. How, however, however, two out of four of so far. Jesus yeah, Christ! Yeah. So I, I do think it's, Dominion is not as good as Legion, but it's nowhere near we as bad as. We need to get a medic in here. <laughs> Fucking hell. Um, that, that should be like a, a badge of honor in this chat now. The, I mean, the, the William Freakin. Uh, <laughs> Billy Freakin, yeah. just like. Hurricane Bill, yeah. People who made this piece of shit are in this room! But, but I, 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 I would think that. Um, I, I do think Dominion is definitely an uncut gem just because of its issues behind the, screen, behind the scenes, but also because it attempts to do something that the other sequels, the prequel, didn't do. 
uh, which is investigate the internalized character of what made the first one great. Legion did it in a different way to a different character, um, which I think George C. Scott did pretty particularly good job of it here. Not to not to the great degree of like a four star, but undoubtedly something that feels a little bit not necessarily impressive, but just interesting. It's an interesting little little feature for an Exorcist, but I will say this to just to quick, to, to to keep it there. If this had nothing to do with the Exorcist, this would be a one star film, D- Dominion. It has the one thing going for it, which is the definition of what it's based on. If it didn't, it really would be a one-star film because Schrader does nothing with this to be elevated or heightened about a person struggling. He, he, so he, are you he, saying, no, this is me just being like Kathy something, what, what, take the Jordan, Jordan Peterson interviews. So what you're saying is that the fact that this is, a, this is tied to The Exorcist makes this film better? Yes, because it has preconceived notions and ideas that it rests wow. its laurels on. Other than that, and I, I might, I might be. If, 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 I tell you what, I give it three stars. If I was so brutal, I'd give it two. But I think it rests on three because I find it interesting. It may be a day later where I go down to two. At the moment, I really struggle with it. But having this conversation, I think it's an adequate uh, feature that could have been more, but it's so, ever so disappointing. But if it didn't have those um, influences of, of, of the house that built it. I do undoubtedly think this would be a two-star film because it's just no substance. Two-star or one-star, like, oh. I, wouldn't, I, wouldn't, I don't think Dominion's a one-star film. It's got a little bit more about it than a one-star. Look, this I mean, is... I'm, I'm debating whether whether the beginning is unwatchable. That's how much it fucks Look, me off. Look, Friedkin's no longer enough for this. I have to go for the nuclear option. Total fucking bullshit. <laughs> what, so you, you think you think you would get... Well, go on then. You, you say Dominion is a one-star film? Oh, yeah, yeah. I'm just, but then again, wow. I am, you know, like... You, you know, <laughs> no, go on. Don't get the cat's got someone's before tongue beauty. Now, Randy, tell me. <laughs> oh, my he's bottled it. Okay. Uh, <laughs> sorry, mate. I have to. <laughs> we'll, we'll get to it really soon, don't worry, because I will be fast. The beginning is garbage. It really is a disappointment. It's 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 conventional to the point that it doesn't even know what conventions well it knows what conventions is chasing but it doesn't do anything with them it doesn't make it lean or campy or pulpy or fun there's nothing about it that that approaches uh success the beginning is just frankly a mess so i i'll give it a one and a half one and a half one 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 star I'll Dude, go with like the, the definition between like what's Jeez. the difference between them all one and a half out of five i don't know yeah one. like i, I think I really the difference don't. is who gives a shit? <laughs> right, there's that. D- Dominion there has a bit of an appeal to me just because there's some things in there that Schrader finds interesting. He plums them a little bit, but it's still a weak script. If he wrote it, if he had a chance to rewrite it, I think it's it's a completely different film. I, I think that a lot of the convention and the, the finale, you know, it... it it cleans itself up a bit, maybe if, if he's involved, if he can see the thematics through to the end. Uh, as it is, it's not an uncut gem either. I would say it's it's more interesting. It's it's serving a character and a story arc, and I think that that's why Schrader likes it. So it, you know, this Adam resurrected, um, first reformed. You can see the nuggets of things that he that he likes that he always goes back to. Last Temptation of Christ. That was he wrote that too, right? So mm-hmm. you, you can see these types of things 
that appeal to Schrader and he does explore it and, and what, but it, it doesn't come together because the biggest thing, and we said it a lot at the beginning, not as much since uh, both these films suffer uh, from is boring plot, boring, boring, boring procedural stuff. Don't really care about any of it. So it, it doesn't get over that hump either. So two and a half for dominion and, uh, one, one and a quarter for the beginning. One and a quarter. <laughs> like, Go, yeah. Just fence sitting just between one and one and a half. Okay, fine. Look, you know, I can fully appreciate that you guys are reviewing a movie that you'd like to have seen as opposed to the movie you saw. I do it all the time, so I know one when I see one. <laughs> but holy shit, both of these, half out of five, No, no questions asked. Like one, because the beginning is a dumpster fire, just start to finish. Just not even look. I'm and I'm, I'm like my tops and bottoms will reflect how much I hold responsible, how much responsibility I, I, I hope that Paul Schrader would have had over this. So that he's like, I, he's he's not Rennie Harlan, he's he's an author, filmmaker, a critic, and a screenwriter, and an also award winning filmmaker who's respected among his peers. And he turns in this. Wow. So what I'll say is this the Dominion is is almost offensive to me because I know the guy who stepped in behind the camera could have done a better job in literally every department in there. Like poorly directed from a guy who 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 directed Blue Collar, really? Poorly written who from a guy who looked like uh, he looked at the script and said it's good enough. Really? Like, there's there's nothing... In, I appreciate that he was thrown under the bus. Like, again, like, a big titan of Hollywood. One of one of these guys who, you know, like you think of New Hollywood. He, one, he's one of the names, you know? He's a legend, right? And, he, and then this... I don't know what this James Robinson has on him. Like, what is this sort of spell that he keeps people under? Like, the fuck's going on? But... Like, this guy can't say no to him, or he just doesn't have the balls to say, like, you know what, fuck that, I'm walking off of this, and I'm, you know what, I'm gonna, I'm gonna make my own dominion with blackjack and hookers, I'm gonna write it myself from scratch, I'm not gonna tie it to the exorcist, and it's gonna be great, and it probably would have been probably first reform. What if he actually did that? What if first reform is his way of say, of doing dominion? Who knows? I don't know. I think it's probably Adam Resurrected, to be fair. My, I've never seen it, so I don't know. But well, no one but, else has either, to be fair. <laughs> yeah. But I'll say I, this: I have. I, oh God, look, I feel personally attacked when I when I have to watch <laughs> a Paul Schrader film where I, at the end of it, when the credits are, I'm like, "Thank Christ, this is over." Like I feel brutalized when I have to say this because yeah, I mate. expected more. You know, like, f- f- <laughs> look. You had a religious experience. Make... Oh, did I have an extra religious you experience? Did. I thank Christ. I fe- you said I. F- I felt like you Jason found Miller. God. Just the power of Christ compels you. I, that's how I wanted to. Just, just. You know, like, I felt like you know, like as like Regan felt like I wanted to just vomit. On both accounts, both movies just to took four hours out of my life that I'm not getting back. I don't know. I, I don't love, get it. Love You've watched you some God. shit on this as well, to be fair. So for you to say about these two surprises me, but it doesn't shock me. 
Look, because you know, like it, you know, like, you know, when okay, I don't mind when when movies are bad. When like I said this last week, like when movies can be bad and they can be fun, but when a movie is bad and it's boring, it mm-hmm. it almost makes me angry, and I don't mm-hmm. like being angry because you know, like I feel like just okay. Well, this almost this becomes like a compulsion for me. Like I just like I feel like I need to just do something like light myself on fire again Jeez. you know how part of it is time is precious like i like i feel that i know you do so i know that like, must this be a is, big you know, part of it right the, what, what what did the germans call it Torschlusspanik. you know the fear of time running out i feel like i'm getting older by the day you know like i'm trying to kind of stay in shape and whatever but holy shit like at some point i'll be on my deathbed and you like, when you're on your deathbed you think to yourself like you know I could have done other things with my life, you know, and I could have spent my time better. And instead, I'm just, I'll be probably thinking back to that time when I spent four hours in one week watching Exorcist prequels. Like, Jakub, this would Jakub, have been Jakub. four hours. I could have just done it, literally anything. Jakob, you spent another like, two and a half hours talking about it as well. So it's a bit of six hours. And we're not even done yet. <laughs> this, this, this is therapy, though. No, you know, no offense to anyone. I can't believe this is the time on this podcast where you're having this conversation and realization with some of the lineups that you guys have chosen. Look, <laughs> some, there's always something that... See, and Schrader did this to you, and Schrader allowed you to re-look at your... You have to go through the trauma, and you have to go through the hardship to find how precious life is and refine the faith in life. So what I'm hearing is this saved your life possibly okay fine out of respect to what you just said i'm going to give dominion one out of five <laughs> half star bump okay well done see yeah i'll take it still hate it more but because no i still hate it really with a passion because look this shouldn't have had directed by paul schrader written across its forehead like you know like, like have you have you have you read these like pieces on like i don't know where this was like some kind of indie wire who's like david gordon green thinks like i wonder what william friedkin would have said about my movie if i, if I took him to the to, to the colon believer i believe in my heart of hearts he would have stood up and then the done. people who made this piece of shit are in this he would room have pointed at david gordon green and said this and i'm in my heart of hearts believe that Paul, if paul schrader took him to see to see this he would have said the same like, why are you trying to sodomize my movie? He would have probably said. Like, no, yeah, you, we, like we, you've been doing this since <laughs> the mid seventies, and I don't appreciate this one bit. Okay, see, <laughs> William he, Peter Blatt is just not having this. Like, no one's like, why would you people do this at all? Like, and Porsche of all of all people, you should have known better. Like, you know, like, it's one of those. Like, when you have two kids, like th- this is how I treat this. Like, you have two kids, one's a little bit slower than the other, and so you're just like, well, fine, like he fucked up. Okay, whatever. But he, you know. He's not gonna amount to much, but I expected more from you, Paul Schrader. <laughs> God, <laughs> that's good. You know, all, all, all jokes aside, right about you know about that free kid and him being in the same room, but it's the it's a lack of that in the modern Hollywood, where to bring in someone who has achieved doing the same principle factor of making that film to sit with them and say, I wouldn't do this. Appreciate your film, but don't, I wouldn't do this. Have a mediator on set, and to be fair, if if freaking mm. would have told him that face to face and said. What the fuck have you done? Maybe David Goddard would have looked at that and thought, <laughs> shit, maybe I fucked up here. But because no one has done, we've got this in our fucking lives now. And and we've got another two of them. 
And do you know what? I, I wanted to say this in my bottom three, right? But I'm going to say this now, not to interrupt like, you. But... What are you people doing? Like, someone needs to say this. Yeah. Like, <laughs> I, I, I'm, I'm, I've never had. Are you high? <laughs> yeah, I, I've never had an issue where people say, like, when, when, you know, when you get like three films and someone makes a fourth one or you get a sequel and it's shit and be like, well, it ruins the travesty of the first one. I don't sort of agree with that on, on, the, on the long run. Here, undoubtedly, undoubtedly, every single po- drop of poison in this in this boiling pot is one of you can have too many sips. It's going to kill you, no matter how good it is at the well with the first film. The more you watch shit like this, it will kill you in the end. And it has. I I, I don't doubt for the next like it, it put the, the the franchise on ice for almost two decades. Look. Watching bad movies is like smoking. Like every cigarette is like eight minutes out of your life or whatever. I felt like I just smoked like a fucking like real just nice ball of crack. Like this is just like it's not just like a few minutes of your life. I've shaved off a decade, and then that decade I've shaved like and that that will probably the last decade of my life is probably not going to be good either. Like it's just not good. Fuck me, God. And then also the the audacity to make all of the. I'm sorry. I'm so sorry. Whoever's <laughs> listening at this point, I'm just, I'm just bear with me for just one more second. Look, the, the ex- at this point, like if I ever make like an, I'm, I might as well just do this. Like do, do like the Exorcist series ranked and I'm not going to include the original just because I ex- respect it too much, but the audacity to make every single fucking one of these movies two hours long. Mm-hmm. It, the disrespect, the chutzpah, <laughs> It's like you. Uh, whose idea was this? Like, you know, we need to hit like hard, hun- like 117 minutes on this because people want to feel like they paid their money's worth. Like, they just, like, you know, like they want to exit the cinema just thinking, like, wow, this was a real movie, like two hours and everything. You know, like <laughs> two hours <laughs> and everything. <laughs> like, it's like the, like, you know, like you have this sort of like mentality now with like Marvel films, like they have to be two and a half hours long because people need to feel like they, you know, they got a good spectacle. So you have to have five acts instead of three, uh, you know, four massive dramatic sequences. And then, you know, you also have, like, why? What happened to a 90 minute long horror sequel? Like Halloween 6, guess how long it is? It's probably 80, 83, right? <laughs> why? That's <laughs> so why you got to respect Almodovar for putting out his short film and paying or charging full price for it. Yeah, fair play. Got to respect it. <laughs> like, dick. Sorry. But, you know, like, this is, again, like, oh, if I, if I, again, like, if someone just had me pay, like, full price and then just, like, 20 minutes in, like, we're done here. You can go home now. <laughs> I'd be like, you know, like, I'll, I'll, I'll be just full on freaking, like, where the fuck is this guy who made me pay for this? Anyway, I think I'm, uh, my hands are shaking. Like, I, yeah, I feel like Father Dyer after he got slapped by freaking because he couldn't deliver a fucking line. He's just like, get his right, last rights problem. And just, you know, just, and just cinema, kino. And I just feel like Father Dyer, like, anyway, like top threes across both films. We don't have to separate between Dominion and whatever. Oh, it, let's make it, make it easier, Carson. Give us your tops. If you have more than three, you're welcome. <laughs> It's just making a face like fuck no. <laughs> yeah, I'm good. Um, Jacob, I did not pick this one. Just to piss you off. My number one one is of course the end credits of Dominion, where Paul Schrader's name comes up. I like that. It's a good sight in cinema, and compared to everything else in the film, damn, that looks like Heaven's Gates. Um, I like in the beginning to give you this Wait, to the film. Um, Heaven's Gate. I like. You like Heaven's Gate? 
I don't know. It never saw Ivan the Gate. Oh, um, just... The opening of the beginning, where they are in the Crusades and they have the upside down crucifix, cru- like crucifix mm-hmm. or cro- whatever. Um, the cross. I think that's a great visual. I enjoyed that visual. I thought, hey, that works. Um, and then I'll say Ralph Brown's performance in Dominion, specifically in the middle, there's a scene where he really like confronts the village. I thought that was a very good performance, and I thought that was a very good scene. So those would be my three tops. A legendary. Dr. Jack. Fuck Professor. Well. Right, here we go. Do it. Tell um, us. All three from Dominion, right? Uh, oh, no. Well, yeah. Um, no. <laughs> I'm going to agree with Carson about the opening sequence in the Crusades. I think it sets a really good tone, really good atmosphere. Um, very bleak, very stoic, but very emotive at the same same token. Really sets a tone that the film never then picks up again, um, which is sort of d- unfortunate because it just sort of bottoms out completely after that. But I, I, I thought that was really interesting. And I don't remember ever watching that before. So I was like, oh, shit, maybe this is going to be good. Two, two seconds later. No, here we go. Um, second... I'm actually going to go. I'm going to use go second for first, actually, because I think it's it's probably better to say. But I will say in both sequence, uh, I think the effective horror, the maggot sequence with the baby, uh, it's, it gets me under under my skin every time. Very effective, but again, like the opening sequence in in um, in the beginning. After that, it just bottoms out again. There's nothing that can touch it. Uh, and first, and I think it's I think no one's really sort of giving him plaudits for it. But I I've tried to mention it before. I think Stellan Skarsgård throughout both films. Does an excellent job, and 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 generally how to how to do tone, how to do thematic, how to do emotive tone is pretty good. But the, the thing that surprised me the most is when I watched both of the, the the versions, I would have thought that his performance wouldn't differ, but they actually do, and, I, and it's quite shocking to see that if if an actor is giving a different sensibility behind a director, how much more impacting that is on the end result. So just just to look at look that uh, through through the looking glass. I thought it was a very interesting experiment, but I'd say Skarsgård is my first. But genuinely, after that, I can be really hard to do any top but top threes. I'd be interested to see what Randy's got to say because Jesus Christ, Randy, good luck. All right. Uh, from the beginning, I will say uh, Skarupko's possession at the end. Yeah, a lot of cheese there, but that woke me up, and that there was some, <laughs> there was something to pay attention to. I did like the voice. Actually, I like Mary Beth Hurt's voice of the demon at the end, uh, Schrader's wife. So I find it hilarious that sort of the main players' wives or ex-wives become, you know, the devil voices. But oh, anyway, this was like George C. Scott's ex-wife, ex-wife was, was, yeah, was yeah, right? Yeah. Um, so anyway, yeah, that is, and uh, Scroop goes crawling on the walls and, you know, talking nasty. Uh, so that sort of woke me up and uh, sort of worked for the type of film that it is. There, there should have been more of that throughout something. Um, from Dominion, um, the opening business with the Nazis, that is sort of a powerful scene, and it works better as a singular prologue. It's the foot from which we step off of, I think, to talk about the Marin character and the evil that lurks in men. Uh, I, th- I think that was effectively sort of placed as opposed to what Harlan does with that, where he just, he he breaks up, that five minute sequence into five one minute sequences and he uses them for for pacing and and sort of manufacturing his 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 editing uh that sort of bothered me but it works nice as a singular character bit and number one in dominion i like there's a scene in there where these kids show up to school with gabriel mann and he's like oh i wasn't expecting more than two kids today and look there's six of you and then they reveal that 
they're there because they don't want Jesus to kill them. <laughs> and I thought that was just sort of an interesting, you know, little touch. I sort of, I sort of like that just insofar as the dramatic, the, the thematics were, were involved and sort of the evil and uh, is evil in religion is evil in men. I, I just thought that was a nice touch. So those are my three, but yeah, it was pretty slim pickings to be honest. Okay. I will, I will have to make a point in here. And this is coming back to my, like, you know, like two kids, one of them slower than the other made a massive mess or whatever. So I'm going to make it, make a point. And it's just like Rennie Harden is going to get a gold star on the fridge because you know, like he's not going to amount to much in life. So, so I might as well just get something. <laughs> so, 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 you know, I've got the swastika tattoo guy when he goes, turns around and goes like, mm, yeah, I'm just like, this was a moment when I woke up briefly. Another moment where I woke up briefly was the jump scare where hyenas were eating Joseph, his brother, I think. And, oh, wow. uh, and the bo- and the bone breaking exorcism and I'm just like what? <laughs> so and but I, I suppose from both I would say like the maggot baby scene. Um it's kind of, it's kind of where yeah. I am. Mm-hmm. Um but and that's kind of just short and sweet. Slim pickings. Like Rennie, you know, like you did good. <laughs> it's just, like, you know, great job. Like it's one of the, you know, you've seen Whiplash, right? Like the worst two words in the English language are good job. <laughs> just, I kind of feel like Rennie good job and he's like did I do well mm-hmm. yeah you can, you can you can go now yeah but I did good yes you did fantastic fantastic yeah there's the door there's the door okay great anyway bottoms <laughs> Carson lay it on me boy where to start um i think the hyenas look terrible in both films like even worse than traders and i like i'll give in one sense i want to give Schrader more credit because like i know he had obviously all the production issues but also they use a lot of like aardwolves and like physical animals in traders films and i don't know why you wouldn't just do or in like specifically dominion and i don't know why you just wouldn't use those in the other scenes with the hyenas i know they're not hyenas but like i don't know that really pissed me off and there's so many like i all three i'm just gonna say are the fake animals in traders film there is one where it, like, it's so unneeded you have like a fake raven eating a guy's body when it's hung up you have a shot of just a table with blood and they're like what if we just cgi a fly onto it why do you need a fly if it's just gonna look fake i just don't get why things are there when like i understand that why they look bad is because you don't have the money and you can't do it i'll give you that but they had the money to burn excuse. right because it costs money it's like this this fly probably costs like a half a million dollars no exactly <laughs> i can respect that it doesn't look good, but like if it's not gonna look good does not serve a purpose why would you spend the money and time and effort on it and like it place it in there it's beyond questionable to me and really just pisses me off. It's, yeah, I, um, I get it. Yeah. I guess I'll, I'll give two more. The beginning, I, I hate dream sequences in horror films. I think it's so cheap and in this film, it's continuously used to be like, oh, this is kind of boring, which it fucking is. And they're like, well, we just need to add like something crazy happening. So they add a horrible um, dream sequence. The Salvador um, Dali thing. <laughs> where do you stand on dream sequences in dream sequences where there's this horrific nightmare and the character wakes up, but he's still in another dream nightmare. and still another another. <laughs> nightmare and this is where i'm like oh is this like oh this is one reason why i also hate the believer yeah it's just awful stop um and then the the (laughs) especially in i don't know in both the demon looks fucking awful and this is where it's really difficult especially the first one i think the makeup is like atrocious even though like i commit i'm like you know 
praise them for kind of doing more makeup between both of them than just using visual effects. But like, I don't know, this is where it's like when you tie it to The Exorcist, in a lot of ways, it's hard to imagine getting better than The Exorcist in a lot of different ways with horror, but like, especially visually, I don't know how you can bring a demon and exorcism to life and make it look better than you do in that film. So automatically it's going to be a step down, but like, why does it look so goofy and so terrible in every single film outside of that first one? Like it just, it doesn't feel like it should be as difficult as it is to get right, but they never have been able to do it again. So I just, I don't get it. Wow. <laughs> this, is, you know, this is, the anger is coming out now. This is great. <laughs> I lo- I'm loving, loving the energy. Jack, Sorry, why just, are I'm, you angry? <laughs> I've, had to, I've had to just sniff on this inhaler to get me through this part because it's going to be really difficult. Um, I'm going to use one example and I'm going to be quite hyperbolic for the others. There's a lot that annoys me about the, the, the both of these films and I've mentioned it multiple times. What, one really annoyance, I think, that I, 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 in Dominion, which I'm going to put in my number one, and, and I generally cannot believe that Paul should try to do this, is the ending. When he walks off into this, he does a, he does a searches. Where we, we Again, sit oh, yes. you can't yeah. get over the John Ford film. It's terrible. Yeah. It's oh, so annoying. We just sit there and we watch him and then this dust cloud runs in. We get this mist which is trying to eerie, eerily bring us back into the precedent of the of the first film. It didn't deserve it. It didn't need it. It was ineffective and it was cheap and it really annoyed me. And this is where I'm going to be hyperbolic, right? My second and third one is everything else in both films. <laughs> everything. That's a cop-out. No, I'm, I'm sorry. I'm sorry, I can't. I cannot go in specific. I can't do it. I honest, I've tried. I, I cannot do it. Everything, the lighting, the production design, the CGI, the performances, the aesthetic, the editing, the score, the soundtrack, the non-diegetic, non-diegetic sounds, the diegetic sounds, color grading. It's all subpar and terrible. There's nothing redeeming on either one of them. I'm sorry. Everything is in the bottom. Honestly, I, but really annoyed me with the, the searchers Dominion. He didn't deserve that at all, but everything else goes. I cannot do, I cannot pick individuals. And I've so, been really well behaved on this podcast the last few times I've been on. I've done the rules. I've done everything. I've done research. Let me off. I cannot do you I cannot do specifics. I can't do no, it. Look, if you look into a cesspit, can you not pick your favorite turd? No. They're all green. They're all they're all brown and they smell <laughs> shit. That's what it is. I can't do it. I'm having to puff on this fucking inhaler to get me through this because I knew I'd get to this point and I had to pick b- bottom three and I was doing it on both as well. And I swear to God, it was just everything. There's nothing I, redeeming. I love, love, love that you said diegetic sounds and not diegetic Indeed. sounds. Randy, people come here for that type of <laughs> academic analysis. Aside from a few weeks love ago it. about Jakob going on about poop again. Yeah, I'm sorry, he has this thing where he has to bring poop into it all the time. Or we're well, going to get to his bottom you know, list space in a second. So. Let's, yeah. yeah. Things haven't Don't changed that much, Because Because on the weekend, it's going to be even worse. This was dog shit. See? Uh, all right. Allow me to contribute to the cesspool. Uh, also agree, the CGI hyenas, the snake and dominion, the uh, stupid sandstorm, which wasn't needed all looked really <laughs> terrible looked really really bad um the major uh, i forget the actor's name now but oh, especially Christ. in dominion i found he had this weird mr bean energy weird. <laughs> he did, he did. <laughs> so did <laughs> so, uh 
Oh my so God. shortly after when uh, Jeffries gets strung up in the beginning, the major, he kills himself. This suicide has absolutely no impact emotionally in any way whatsoever. It just sort of bothered me. He plays with his butterflies and that was a symbolism. I'm sure there's something to it, but I really didn't care to try to decipher it. I thought it was contrived and stupid. And then the fact it turns into a crow, stupid. And then he shot himself in the head Eh, didn't care at all about that um and in the beginning the film (laughs) in colon the beginning not in the bible in the beginning uh the chirconic tribe versus the british this conflict in that film has absolutely zero gravity at all the first 70 minutes of that film you know, you hardly know that the tribe is there. And then, then you have the, the baby, the, the stillborn baby Cause and the maggots. Because you're asleep. That's why. Yeah, but it's 70 minutes in. And yeah, I might have been asleep. But uh, <laughs> well, I'm pretty sure I didn't miss anything. Uh, so it, it is just the movie didn't help. <laughs> no impact at all. And, you know, at least Schrader turns that around and has some thematic value. And it's there for a purpose. But Harlan is just doing an action scene. Because that's all he really knows to do, and that's just so hollow and and stupid and vacant uh, a film at that point, and that's just sort of emblematic of the beginning in my mind. It's just empty, hollow, and Harlan is just you know doing what he saw on a DTV film the <laughs> previous week or something. Oh, I'm gonna do, do you, that. Do you think uh, Kurt Russell in? Uh... Big Trouble in Little China was a time traveler, traveler because you looked at Rennie Harlan's filmography and said, hollow? Fuck it. No? No. No, no. no I don't think so. <laughs> he punches a hole in the wall and he goes like, hollow? Fuck it. And he punches a, wall, a hole in the wall. I'm just thinking like, wow, is this a metaphor? I don't know. It's great. John Car- Carpenter is a treasure. Anyway. <laughs> That's not the film he's treasured for. <laughs> <laughs> save that it's for an another acquired, day it's an acquired taste um yeah speaking of acquired taste how long is this going to take your bottom list i've to- got only three because i like look the biggest mistake apart from watching these films in the first place and then just thinking that you know guys it was a good idea <laughs> this pro as a project like wow you know, like sometimes you feel like you know, you know, like these, like picking these films that no one gives a shit about. It's just, you know, okay, well, it's a landmine sort of sometimes. You know, like sometimes it's a gem. Sometimes you step on a landmine and you lose a leg. And sometimes you dive into a cesspool headfirst and you realize it's only knee deep. So you also not only is it you're in a pool full of shit and you also break your spine. Yeah, not a good what afternoon. What a way with words. What a way with words. And and we still have the pretentious entry to get through later. Oh yeah, yeah, that's <laughs> coming soon. Um, I'm not coming soon. Uh, oh, what I'm saying is, my bottoms is again. I'm going to pick on Schrader because he should have known better. So, the uh, when Cheche just like lifts up like the fucking Dracula from the bed, goes like, "I told you, priest." I'm like, who signed off on this? Like who? Um, again, another sort of like little moment when he um, the perfection demon shows its face like there's this so face morph effect he goes like <laughs> just, just why we could have done without it just saying like it's shit already okay like you don't have to you know 
And then the worst is, I mentioned this already, Gabriel Mann's background acting. (laughs) (laughs) A man has no no idea what to do with himself. And Schrader probably is so switched off, he probably just checked out because he probably knows that James G. Robinson is just like saying things about him behind his back and he's saying it loud enough that he hears it. So... (laughs) So he's just probably like, I don't give a shit. Like, I don't want to, I want to be home. Like, I really just like, this is just a job. I thought that I could make it, make it, make it into, by the way, Jack Carson, have you seen The Searchers? No. You, you, you gotta like, watch The Searchers. It will recontextualize your entire Paul Schrader sort of philosophy. Cause it will be like, like, well, this guy just can't get a, get around to remaking this movie. Anyway, that's my bottoms. Now we've done this. If you really want to watch these films, <laughs> if you live in the US, boy, you're in luck because they're on Peacock, I think. All of them. And then, and I think uh, uh, one of these is on Hulu and the other one, I think it's on fr- Amazon Freebie. I think if you live in Australia, they may be, I think, both on Netflix. But elsewhere, they're kind of like either just inexistent or maybe in like a bargain bin DVD. And believe you me, it's not a bargain. I can know it's a dollar. <laughs> But just keep the dollar, okay? Spend it elsewhere. Something I don't know. You know, give it to a homeless person. Just don't you don't have to anyway. So so you, you yeah. Apart from these outlets, you probably can't really watch it very well. I think in some countries you can actually rent it for money. <laughs> your funeral. <laughs> so, so that's kind of where it is. I think we're done with all this of official exorcist sequels and prequels. So. Thank you guys for coming over. Thank you so much, Carson, for showing up after a decade of not being in here. <laughs> I'm being I'm being dramatic, but while we're here, just tell us where where we can find you and plug yourself. Uh, you can find me on Twitter at bp underscore movie reviews letterbox Carson Tamar. If you want to hear my thoughts on new movies, check me out on Clappercast. Um, also, I want to mention I forgot to mention with my best moments um, when he just bitch slaps the demon. I just want to mention that because I'll never <laughs> talk about this film again, and that is an incredible moment of cinema. Um, but you can find me there. This whole series needs an exorcism. Just saying. <laughs> anyway, Jack. Where can we find you? You can find me on the you can find me on this cesspool that is Twitter or whatever you call it nowadays. I'm not paying for it. At Jack Luke Sharp. And I've I've lost the plot, man. I'm so fucking ill, I'm sorry. And you can find me at clapperltd.uk with uh, Jack Luke Sharp as well. Thank you very much for your time. Lovely to have you as well. Are you it's back a pleasure. Oh no, because we're recording next week's late. (laughs) 15 minutes, so you're not back next week. What am I talking about? I'm on any week you can have me. I enjoyed this every time, even when we're talking about absolute shite like this. And also as well, just to clarify, um, you said earlier about the the dollar bill and five dollar bill. Don't even look at this as as a a pretentious look at, oh, well, let's rediscover it like Carson said earlier. No, it doesn't deserve it. You're totally sleeping on Dominion. No, you're not. There's nothing Mm -hmm. that, no, there's nothing. There really isn't nothing. There, There really is. It doesn't need to be rediscovered. It needs to be left where it is. People have gone up to do better things. Schrader's had a better career trajectory. Leave it. It's dead. Let it drown. It's in. It's in the pond. Leave it there. Look, we dive into the septic it. tank, so you don't have to. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> yes. I'm, I'm. I'm currently up to my nose in shite. That's our hero's work that we do. 
<laughs> Randy, where can we find you and your stuff? All right. You can find me on the X at Randy Burroughs. You can find me on Letterboxd at Brad7. You can find me on my Facebook group, Island Film Geeks. Awesome. And um, I think I'm on x.com slash Twitter as talk about film, but you, that, I don't think you can find me there because I'm detoxing from social media and it's honestly amazing. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah, the only social medium I still kind of just check every now and again would be Letterbox, which is Jakob Flash, is where you can find me there. And then flashonfilm.com is where you can find my shizzle, which like probably by the by the time you're listening to this, maybe my my takedown of of colon believer is probably already up. And hopefully I'll, I will have finished my piece about pandemic movies being period pieces, because why not? Because I don't know. I have I have weird ideas sometimes. So can go in there and check my stuff and if you want to check more stuff relating to the show that and at at uncut gems pod everywhere also uncut gems podcast.com is our hq patreon.com slash uncut gems pod and by the way remember the exorcist is free to listen so go in there and have a have a peek have a gander okay uh, what else? What else? Coffee.com slash uncutgemspod is where you can leave us a one-off donation and also leave us a review, leave us a star rating, um, tell your friends. Um, you know, if if they're into long-form podcasting about really movies you shouldn't watch. <laughs> That's how I feel like October has been a tough month, okay? <laughs> yeah. So, sort of uh, like our yeah, Oscar so Best Picture sequels was another rough patch. <laughs> Jesus. you know like i was thinking about this the other day carson's like, look <laughs> look i was thinking about this the other day i was thinking to myself like wow this like the heretic and this like this recontextualizes my thoughts about the evening star maybe i was too harsh <laughs> can i just drop that i like actresses too and i think it's underrated oh, oh you're doing it you're doing exactly what you I'm said not, you should i'm not talking about it but we're sleeping on the heretic there. no we're not sleeping <laughs> No, no. Sorry, the visuals in that are banger, actually. And Did you see Zardoz, Carson? No. Okay. I think that informs a lot of the heretic. But, okay. Sorry. Close us out, Jakob. <laughs> I'm not going to bite. I'm not going to bite. <laughs> heretic had its day. Go ahead and listen to this. Okay, I'm not... <laughs> this is so hard not to bite. <laughs> okay. Just get your shit together, Jakob. Just like, we can do this. Like, just one more minute. Okay. <laughs> Right, so listen to our st- stuff over at patreon.com slash uncanjumpspot.com and everywhere else, whatever. Um, next week, we will be finishing our William Peter Blatty-themed Demonictober by talking about The Ninth Configuration, or as it was released in the US on Blu-ray, The Ninth con- Coinfiguration. <laughs> I'm pretty sure this, the misspelled Blu-ray is going for pretty coin figuration at this moment, right? Um, so we're going to be talking about this. So stay tuned until then. And in meanwhile, I cast you out, young clean demon. Yeah.